All right, everybody. John Wedger, how you got? How you doing today, buddy? I'm good, thank you very much. Yeah, we've just had um, uh, some news in the UK that the Queen uh, of England has just died. She died about ten minutes ago. So oh, wow. that so that that's breaking news. So um, yeah, so what, I don't know what's the date. Is it the eighth today? Eighth of uh, September, about seven p.m. The uh, Queen Elizabeth's dead. So I think we've now got a king. So wow. I'm now. Uh, when I'm now living in a kingdom, so. How old was she? 96. 96. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, so quite some age. So we're speaking on a, on a historical day. It's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. There's, at least there's a bit of significance, you know. The rest of the world's collapsing, but. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Um, so the first question I have for you is, after investigating all these things and, and immersing yourself in in the most heinous crimes I can possibly imagine. How do you, how do you decompress? How do you deal with it without losing your mind? Uh, the thing is with it, uh, Tim, is that you, you, you sort of don't, you, you, you know, um, now as, as a, a mature man, and I'm still um, interconnecting with a lot of survivors and taking testimonies and things, and I'm dealing a lot more with things like ritual abuse, which takes, like... Uh, sexual abuse of children to another sinister level and I, I can it's only now I've learned to sort of um, not take ownership of anything and, and to pass it back but um, at the time the police that, that there was no training on how to distance yourself from from what you was listening to um, so you don't and that, that that's that's the raw truth of it you don't and especially when you're a serving officer and, and you're younger in 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 service and you know, also, you're young and experienced when it comes to this sort of crime. If you've not come from that background and you do get psychometrically tested before you um, you take on these roles. So there is a lot of screening and that does tend to weed out people that have been sexually abused in their childhood uh, because it's just going to be a trigger. It's not going to end well. Um, I know you get um, survivors of sexual abuse childhood sexual abuse go on to work in the social services and things like that where they don't have the vigorous testing and that can lead to problems it, it can be beneficial sometimes you know because they can understand what the kid's going through but it can cause a thing called a hero complex and and can cause uh the recipient of the information to magnify things you know take them out of proportion so um so we get psychometrically tested before we go on to make sure that we have some sort of um robustness you know to our personality um, and then the rest of it is you're just thrown on the cold face and you deal with it so you don't and and the sad thing is um well in a way you do deal with it, you deal with it by drinking copious amounts of alcohol you know and and that's that's the reality um yeah. you drink you drink um now and and the strange thing is that with normal policing Back then in the day, um, I would have thought it's the same with police all around the world, to be honest. There's a big social scene that goes with it, you know. So you, you'll finish work and you'll, you'll all club together and you'll drink. And you end up in a very isolated community because you, you're not allowed to associate with criminals. So if you've come from an area where you have got criminals as friends, they have to go away. And the other thing is the shift patterns are so bad. Um, that no one else is awake when you're awake and things like that. So, you know, after night, sometimes we go drinking at seven in the morning when everyone else is getting up and going to work. We're, we're hitting the, the booze. 
And the other thing is, um, no one understands what you deal with. It's the same with the military, you know, when they, you know, when they've been through hard training and they've been in in, in situations which which are you know devastating to the mind. You know what you've both you've all been through, so you drink. Um, so alcohol really is is your way out. Um, but when you start dealing with with childhood sexual abuse, um, it's so hard work. There's not many people on it. Um, it's high intensity work. There is no let up to it. So you don't have a chance to really socialise, you know, because not many people want to do it. And, and those that do don't last. So about two years and, and you, your mental health starts breaking down. And I was working with people who've been doing it for 20 years, you know, um, and they were damaged. Yeah. And, and a lot of them were functioning alcoholics. You know, two of them were actually registered alcoholics. One of them was actually banned from driving. Um through drink driving but managed to keep his job somehow I don't, I don't know how he did that but he did um and uh, you would go home and you would just sit there and just drink yourself in, in into um a coma really and then wake up in the morning and the whole thing starts again um so that that's how you how you deal with it and of course that's unsustainable it's not going to last for long and and in turn your mental health and your physical well-being is going to start to suffer greatly yeah, I, I've seen enough of your interviews to know that you're uh, um, that you're a man of faith and you're a Christian and all that. And 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 I, I saw that, you know, some of the people that you've shined a light on, you know, it could be pretty dangerous. And a lot of people have asked you if you fear for your life and that kind of thing. And I love that you said you're you're not afraid because your soul is intact. Is that a is your faith always been something that you've had or did that develop because of dealing with this kind of. Yeah, I mean, I've always. I've always had a love for Jesus. I mean, even when if there was something on television and there was Jesus on it, I was like, wow, I'd watch it. And there was something about Jesus. You know, it was it, it was a bit of a joke. I, I worked with a tremendous detective. Um, he used to do quite a lot of covert, undercover work. And this guy, we on our desk, we set up the multi-faith desk. So we'd have... Uh, uh, a Ganesh, you know, a Hindu Ganesh, and then we'd have something else and, you know... But we used to, before we went to work, we used to punch our chest and go, Jesus. We did it for a laugh, really, you know, but there was something about Jesus. There was always something that Jesus presided over it. Um, and I was brought up a Catholic. Uh, my father's like Italian Catholic. And, um, you know, his mother and father were both strong Catholics. So I went to Catholic school. So I believed in Jesus. Um, uh, and I knew there was a devil. And then, the, the, you know, God had a plan. You know, and if God's got a plan, there is nothing you can do about it. And it, for me, it was the root of helping children. It was on a, on every level, on a personal level, on a home level, and, and a work level. The more I wanted to step away from children, the more I ended up in an environment with children that needed help. You know, and I ended up bringing up children on my own, which was incredibly hard. And I, and I now know wholeheartedly the value of a mother and a father you know, and a, a stable, loving family background. Um, but my faith was really tested when uh, an incident occurred. I, I had whistleblown um, against the police. Um, I was under attack. There was fears for my life. There was even a member of parliament who was uh, the, the minister for um, policing and crime. And this guy, he was an ex-military fellow, and he, he was a tough man, you know. Um, and we 
become good friends really you know he um he did all he could because there was a lot of scandal in british politics at the time involving paedophilia um so he was in a place we couldn't comment too much right but he was giving me warnings he was giving me hints be careful be careful and one day um he he just lost the plot because he because he was helping me and i was speaking out against the cover-up deliberate cover-up of sexual abuse of children prostitution of children and everything else and he started seeing what they were doing to shut me up you know and he was warned to step away from me and he and he refused to do it so he was removed um under was it Theresa? I don't know if Theresa May was in. It might be David Cameron was Prime Minister at the time. Theresa May was a Home Secretary who later went on to become uh, Prime Minister. She removed him and told him to stay away from John Wedger, and she removed him as Minister for Policing. This guy was going around the world, you know, and doing a good job. So he was removed uh, by Theresa May and warned to stay away from me. And, he, and he, he did a sterling speech in Parliament, and I was there. And it was the new Home Secretary had been appointed. And he turned round in front of, of, of this parliamentary um, audience that we had, a part of the Home Office, which deals with the part of government that deals with policing. And he said, if I hadn't stood by John Wedger, he would not be alive today. Um, so he made it quite clear, you know, that, that I, I could have been on borrowed time. Yeah. And I, I had the intelligence services contact me and told me to stay away from politics because there was quite a few activists that would get very political. And I had quite a, a growing following at the time. And they knew that if I teamed up with a certain individual who made things very political, that I could be an issue. So, so I started to realise that politics and influence in politics is a dangerous game you die you die and again if you start embarrassing the government to a level that that they are an international um embarrassment because the information that that, that came my way you know i could have given that to putin for example and, and you know he could have used some of that information you know so, you, so i started understanding how espionage started to work you know and yeah. the need then to 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 kill um spies because spies won't just be given information about nuclear power stations which you can google earth anyway a lot of this espionage stuff is to do with blackmail because of paedophilia you know and i think we need to get that in context so i was in a position where i'm speaking now i've got threats i'm english so we always drink tea so i've got got threats to my life um were coming in indirectly um without a doubt i was aware I was aware um, the situation I was in. And on top of that, the, the police were pushing me. It, you know, it was a war of attrition and they was going to win because it was unsustainable for me because I was looking at going to prison because they kept putting charge after charge after charge against me, which um, could, have, could have ended up with me losing my liberty. Um, the, the prosecutors threw them all out in the end, but... In the meantime, while I'm fighting the police, they, I went sick. So they stopped paying me. So I'm now on the, the lowest income I've ever been on in my life. Uh, my mental health is sliding by the second, you know. Um, and on top of all that, one of my, my children, I'm bringing up four kids of my own. One of my children, I, I mean, he was in his 20s, but 
he had a terrible accident and his spinal column was severed by 96%. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, there was no way that that was a survivable injury. So he ends up in hospital. He ends up on a life support machine. And, you know, anyone who's got children, you love your children dearly, hopefully. Yeah. Um, the last thing you want to ever see is your child with pipes and tubes and machines all over them, you know. He was hanging on to life. And, um, you know, I have my belief. And, and you see, what, what you've got to understand is that everyone thinks that when the devil attacks, and because I was exposing evil, you know, and the devil's going to attack, and you think that there's so much and he gives up. No, once once you go down, once you sort of take the knee and you, you, you fall down, that's when the devil increases his attack, right? It's not the hand of God that saves you, right? You will be stamped on, you know? And, and what I've learned with, with Jesus, and I'll come to the moment which I really consolidated my faith with, with Jesus, was that we've got... You know, he'll always do his job. He'll never do yours. And it's a tag match, like a wrestling tag match. He knocks on the door. you just got to let him in. So I was being, I was in that ring and I was being beaten by the devil. And all I had to do was get up, get to the site, and I had to tag God in. You know, that's what I had to do. And I didn't know how to. And I got a call late one night. I've been working for cash. Um, on on building sites, you know. Again, I'm I was in my early fifties and and I'm doing hard physical work, you know, which I hadn't done for a long time. So it, it was tough for me for, on that level, but I did it anyway. I did it, and um, I get a phone call from the hospital, and they asked me to to get to the hospital quickly. I drive. I've got not got hardly any petrol in my car because I've just got I haven't got any money in my pocket, um, and I get to the hospital. And when I get there, there's three consultants. So there's three of the top doctors. Uh, they're waiting for me. And because my son had been in intensive care for um, for quite a while, for about two months, I knew when the consultants come together and they take, we had a family room in the hospital, in the ICU, and they would come in one day and they would approach, you know, a family member and say, can we have a word? And you knew then that they were dead, you know? So... You know, these ICUs, they lose a lot of people every day. You know, there was about 30 patients in this ICU. One day they lost 13 of them. And uh, he was in a neurological spinal ICU. And that all the people died. They all were all dying of respiratory illness. All this about the COVID thing. It, they were all dying of respiratory illness. And that was years ago, you know. So yeah. once you ventilate someone, COVID or not, they there's a good chance they'll die of respiratory illness, you know, and it's, it's how it is. So, um, I'm, uh, called into this room and they said, look, we're really sorry, Mr. Wedger. We've lost your son. Um, he's, he's dead. He's on full life support. Uh, he, he bottomed out, you know, he flatlined, whatever, um, for 10 minutes. We've been working on him for seven and a half minutes. Um, we have got, an algorithm back in his in his brain which allows us to justify a full 100% life support but what they said was the life support is 100% so 100% inflation on his lungs his lungs are going to be irreparably damaged in five days time they're not going to be worth anything anyway um, he's been dead 
for 10 minutes. There's been no oxygen in his brain for 10 minutes. There's no way he's going to survive that, you know. Um, but we, we were obliged to give you five days. After five days, unless you take a legal challenge, we're turning the machine off. You know, and they hit you hard. Yeah. And I was a family liaison officer for, for murder victims anyway, so I know how it goes. You know, you've got to hit them hard. You've got to tell them you can't muck about. You've got to be professional straight down the line and tell someone then and there, you know. It's a bit like with, with a relationship, it's over. It's over, you know. No ambiguity, bang. So uh, and I'm pragmatic, you know. I said, okay, okay. Um, at the time in my life when I'm at my lowest, I've never, ever been hit hard so many times, so many angles in my life, and, and now I'm there. And I go in there, and if he was on machines before this, th this was another level. There was pipes and tubes, and it was horrific. And it was just like, you know, looking at the corpse of your son, you know, and it was appalling. Um, so I held his hand, and day one came, day two came, and I stayed with him, and I stayed with him. And day three, and I thought, what have I done? I've I've spoken out, and I've done the right thing. I've been honest, I've been truthful, and I've stood up for children that are getting hurt, and they were getting killed, you know? They were getting sexually abused till they were, till they were dead. A lot of these children had HIV. Um, they had uh, tuberculosis, contagious tuberculosis, hepatitis C. These life-threatening illnesses that, that, you know, street sewer rats get, you know, and these poor kids were getting them because of how they were being treated in the United Kingdom, you know. It was literally um, a mile away from Buckingham Palace this was happening. And uh, and I spoke out, and, and I'm in this situation, and I got angry. And in the hospital, they had the chapel of rest, so you could go in there and you could pray. And there was an altar and there was Bibles. But, you know, the UK is a colonial, you know, ex-colonial, you know, nation. And, you know, a lot of these professionals come from around the globe. So, you know, London's the most diverse city in the world. You go into a British hospital, you're going to have doctors from Sri Lanka, from Nigeria, from Ghana, you know, um, Pakistan, Bangladesh, you know, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It's a mix, the UK, you know, and there is a mix of religion. So I'm in there and there were Indonesian doctors there, you know, Filipino staff. And the Indonesians were, were on their prayer mats and they were worshipping Allah. And there was a couple of nurses that were Buddhists that were doing their thing and a few Hindus that were doing their little thing. And I'm there and I'm on my knees in, in front of the altar and I'm reading the book, you know. I'm reading the book, the Bible, and I'm reading the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then I'm reading the book of Matthew and it's making sense and it's making all sense. And I got angry and I got so angry and I started attacking God and I started attacking these parents who abandoned these children and I was shouting at the top of my voice why should I swear in I said why should I go out and help these children why should I be punished just because these selfish people want their life and not their children they abandon their children they get girls pregnant and they run off this single parenting baby father baby mother culture I said I'm fed up with it there's nothing 
no recourse, no punishment for these people, yet the good people, we get punished. If you care and you genuinely love humanity, you get punished, you get sanctioned, you, you, you've got no money, you've got this. And I said, God, my son's dead, he's dying, he's gone, he's finished. And I said, don't expect me to be the one to help these other children when their own mothers and their own fathers can't be bothered because I don't care for these people and I'm not caring for their children. If I can't help have my child, I am not helping their child. And I said, God, all I ask you is give me my son back. I promise you, I will be the shepherd that goes for that lost sheep. I will leave the 99 sheep. I will go out in the night, in the cold, in the wet, and I will bring that sheep home. I promise you, I will do that for you. But I'm not doing it for kind of my son. And they say you can't bargain with God. But, you know, God loves audacious people. He loves audacity. You know, if you don't ask, you don't receive. And I, 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 and I said this, you know, I said, I want, this is what I want. And I went back in and I held my son's hand and he woke up. His eyes opened and he looked at me and I said, son, I love you. And he, he tried to murmur, I love you back. But there was pipes and things in his mouth. And I said, move your foot, your left foot. And his left foot moved, his toe moved. I said, move your right foot. The right foot was more pronounced, you know. And I said, grip my hand with your left. Grip my hand. And he did, right? The left hand, he still, he still got paralysis quite badly down there. But I went home, right? Um, and I knew that God had blessed me. He's alive. I couldn't believe it. Um, when I went home, I was arrested by the police. I went home. The police were waiting for me. They arrested me for child abandonment because... I left my 14-year-old, he might have been 15 actually, 15-year-old son home alone with my 26-year-old son, you know. And so they decided they were going to get me either way. They knew my son was in hospital. Anyway, something had changed in me that time. They, that all got thrown out as well because it was nonsense. Well, that was bullying and I later took them to a civil court over that. But something had changed. And what I'd done, I'd exchanged my fear for my faith. I wasn't frightened anymore. The fear just went. It just dropped away. And I fought back. I stood up and I fought back. And I got off my knees. I, in that ring, I got up and I went and I tagged Jesus. And I got Jesus in the ring. And I knew I could not fight this without Jesus. So anyone who thinks they can take on evil with not Jesus behind them, make them stupid. They're fools. They're idiots because it can't happen. Yeah. The devil's going to eat your whole. But my, my son had paralysis from his eyes downwards and, and, and chronic brain damage, he went on to walk out of the hospital with no damage to his brain whatsoever. You know, he went on to father a child, to, to pass his driving tests, uh, to go and have a home and have an independent life. They put it down as a miraculous recovery. There was no medical explanation for his recovery. It should not have happened. Um, so I've seen the works of God's. But I've seen the works of evil at the same time, you know. So that that's how my faith in in, in Jesus came, and it is Jesus. And when I um, started then leaving the police and campaigning for survivors of abuse, I started getting the survivors of satanic ritual abuse coming my way, and I started speaking to these people, and those that did have clarity. And they did have memory recall because not a lot of them do because there's a mind control element to this and they, they their mind's not allowed to remember. 
but everything about satanic rituals is a mockery of one thing and one thing alone mockery of jesus christ it is not an inversion of islam it's not an inversion of hinduism crystals ascended masters shintoism whatever buddhism it's not in fact hinduism there are gods in hinduism that were actually used and, and revered and respected in, in in the satanic rituals and that gets mentioned quite a bit to me um but it's jesus there's a problem they have with jesus you know um and it's um it's real it's real and if anyone says oh it's a load of nonsense i'm not here to convince anyone i i don't care what anyone wants to believe that's there up to them but if asked it's jesus christ and and there is a devil and he has got a dominion he's got a domain he's taking over at the moment you know he's he's running a mock with no resistance but there's only one thing that can take him down and that's jesus and it does work it does work but you have to get rid of your fear we're living in, in, in a very fear encrusted society at the moment and we need that faith because it's only faith that's going to get us through this because we're um we're heading for very very um strange erroneous dangerous times you know yeah i say that all the time and uh i i've felt I've felt that in my own life um and and to be honest with you i was a little scared to even do this interview with you you know i mean as far as for for a, a variety of reasons but when i i heard you tell that story and i i i don't want to be afraid of those things no. and sometimes no. you just have to you have to face those fears and if you believe in jesus and and trust in him he, he will carry you through anything and yeah. i felt it in my own life when i when i quit drinking i sat on the side of a i won't tell the whole story but i sat on the side of a bathroom tub in a hotel and I, I was praying to god to please help me stop doing this to myself and and i heard an audible voice say help yourself yep. it, was like, it was like god telling me i've given you everything you need it's it's on you to stop you know yep. if you don't want to drink don't drink if you want to take these bricks out of your backpack then then take them out and put it down and uh and it took me a couple of weeks before i finally quit but i did and your story almost makes me tear up i mean i i can't uh I can't put into words how how powerful that testimony is and is that something you tell people when they think all of this is a conspiracy because yeah, yeah i mean it makes me like i i see god's got a sense of humor and it's the irony of god and, and you said something in it and uh, uh, I, i'm gonna have to use it because you said taking the bricks out your backpack right take that load out your backpack then bricks but pick up the cross <laughs> yeah and sometimes that's just as even heavier you know but um yeah if i mean if i'm asked i i mean i gave one talk and I actually took my son along um and i made him stand up and i and i made him stand up and he's got a walking stick and i said if anyone thinks miracles don't exist look this is a this boy is a living miracle thanks to lord jesus christ i said it it, it it's real it is real and, you know, and um, it's difficult. Um, I, I have to be very clever how I do it, um, you know, because I, I work in a place now with very, very damaged children, you know. Yeah, terrible, terrible um, affliction some of these kids have got. And, and one of the heads in, in the school is an atheist. 
and doesn't believe in God, thinks it's all nonsense and all rubbish. And, you know, that's okay. You know, that's up to you what you want to believe. But I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ. If I had it my way, I would be holding prayers for these children. I'll be getting everyone to pray, a different child, a different day and pray. You know, um, luckily there, there's a lady there who's got a very strong faith with me. And uh, if I'm working with her, I said, can we just pray for this one child? Let's pray for And we do it. We have to do it, you know, quietly because we'll end up maybe losing our jobs, you know, because we're, you know, and you, you can see Jesus Christ being removed from the schools. It's being removed everywhere. Um, yeah, if for me, there is just, there's no way forward unless it is, it is with Jesus. And when, when, when I, I go to somewhere, so I went to talk to a guy um, back in May and I have um, a fellow that works with me who's a former world champion fighter and he's, his faith is as strong as his arm, you know. He loves Jesus, this guy, um, but he's a tough guy as well, you know. And he comes along with me to to things, you know, because we don't know what we're going to encounter. All right. So we went along and we're putting a, together a documentary at the moment. And, and you know, we, we're interviewing a few people in America um, over it. And it's to do with the reality of satanic ritual abuse. And it's been ongoing for many years. But we went and we spoke to this fellow. Now, I've never had anyone with such clarity. Uh this guy, uh, for the sake of an argument, I'm going to call him Peter. And we went and met this guy, Peter. And he was brought up in an intergenerational, satanic, Satan-worshipping family. And he explained Satanism to me like I've never had it explained. He explained it from start to finish without any triggering. or any. He was getting triggered, but he kept a lid on it. He's now going to jesus it's a long process but he's he is born again but there's a lot a lot of deliverance and he's admitted to some of the most appalling crimes appalling crimes that, that they've made this this guy do but they made him do it past the age of reason so they made him commit crimes in the uk a crime committed under the age of nine it's classed as the age of reason um it's not seen as a criminal act if it's over the age of nine there's culpability there is there is criminal responsibility and he's talking about terrible crimes um but he's also talking about why they do it uh, the reason behind it and the way they use the bible the bible is used in it um the the holy communion they again they they do a mockery of that it's not that they're not mocking an islamic blessing or some sort of hindu ritual no it's it's a mockery of jesus it's as simple as that and he turned around to me he said there's a part of me um if i'm triggered he said it's actually telling me to kill you now to kill you now i said you're joking he said no one of my altars one of his because he's a multi-personality individual want he just wants to kill you and he said i'm i've got the capabilities to kill you and i don't think your friend would be able to stop you and i've got my big power there strong strong man and he said oh he said but i've come to you because i think what you're doing is brilliant and i know you're going to help us but you've got to understand we're broken and these altars they're, they're difficult to get rid of you know yeah. and they need a lot of deliverance you know there's a lot of therapy and deliverance so you'll, you'll get some that will 
will think they can deal with it through therapy, but they're never, ever set free. And then you get others that are zealoted with their Christianity and think that it's all about deliverance and demons, deliverance and demons, which in many ways it is. However, there's still the, the, you know, the broken soul needs nurturing and it needs gentle therapy as well, you know. And there's normal standard therapy that, that just putting your hands and praying isn't going to, isn't going to wash. And when, when you, when you spoke to these people, you know, and they are so steeped in the blood of children, you know, the sacrifices they've done, the abuse, this guy said that, you know, he, when he was at one ritual, there was another child and they caught them talking to each other. So they made them fight. So they made them have a fight. He won because he was a stronger boy. So they made him then sodomize the other boy. So he was 14. And he said they they gave him a knife and made him cut his throat and kill him. And I said, but what were the other members of the, the, the church, the satanic church doing? He said, the men were all masturbating while we did it. I mean, so this is a level of person you're dealing with. Uh, you know, now, now this guy has been conjuring up these demons. He explains how it works. He explains also there's a thing called the five eye wills. Um, and and I'll, hopefully I'll be sharing that with um, someone in the US who does a lot of work against yeah, anti-Satanism. And the five eye wills are actually written in, in, in the book of Isaiah. Um, and it's like, I will ascend. It's, it, it's God rebuking the devil, saying you're a liar, you know, and everything else. You you claim that you will rise above the clouds, you will rise above the stars. I will be like the most high. And each one is five of them. I will be above the clouds. I will rise above the stars. I will. And it keeps ascending each time. I will be like the most high. But the most high is Jesus Christ. He might be like him, but he'll never be as powerful as him. Jesus is the, is the ultimate warrior and has the ultimate power. Um, but the, but they invert and twist the Bible, you know. And so this guy is sitting in there, and part of him is cursing me. But for about three weeks afterwards, my friend said to me, he said, how, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm troubled. He said, I keep feeling a hand pushing me. And I said, I keep think, hearing voices shouting at me in, in the middle of the night, you know. And um, I said, we've got to go and see a pastor about this. We went, so we went. And I got in touch with my friend who, who runs a church. And I said, look, this is what's happened. And he said, come. And we just had a heavy night of prayer, heavy night of prayer. And funny enough, he said to me exactly your opening gambit about what do you do? And he said, John, you must give this away. This isn't your cross to carry. You know, your job is to expose it and put it out there. But his experience is his experience alone. There's nothing you can do about that. And you must wash yourself spiritually, cleanse yourself of them in the name of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus. But what what some Christians do, and I've seen it and I have, when they're doing the prayers of deliverance, they just think they can say the word Jesus and these demons are gone, right? It don't work like that. It don't. Ultimately, yes, yes. Jesus did give us a power to tread on snakes and scorpions, you know, and to heal and deliver, yes. But our faith has to be strong. And we've got to be clean. And the stronger our faith and the cleaner we are, the more powerful our prayer. But, you know, us being humans, we're going to sin. There's going to be weak links in our armour. And, you know, and, and we're going to fall foul. And, 
you know, when people say that, that they just need to say the name Jesus and everything else runs, that, that actually belittles the power of evil because evil's powerful, right? And they underestimate it. You know, any good fighter knows you've got to know your enemy. You don't underestimate your enemy. You know you're going to win, but you don't underestimate them either because if you don't train, you're going to get beaten and you're going to lose. So we've got to understand that, that evil is powerful. And it depends on the level of demonology that they've, they've gone to, the depths of depravity they've gone to. And if, if their prayer is saturated in the blood of innocent children, that's going to be powerful prayer. And we've got to have more powerful prayer to combat that, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's many people that fall and fail because they thought that they could take on someone who is heavily demonized and it's crushed them. So what happens is you end up you know, drinking again heavily and getting depressed and, and not being able to get out of bed and that because the curse is working on you. It's stopping you doing your job. You know, so, you know, and, and that's one of the things. It's always a learning process. I, I, I never stop learning with Christianity and I never stop fighting uh, with it. And um, and prayer prayer's powerful. Prayer is powerful and prayer does work. Um, so, the devil don't like me and he don't like you either. He don't like any of us. He hates humanity, you know, but if you're going out of your way to expose it, you're more of a threat, you know, and if you're not doing that, you're not more of a threat. You don't need to waste much time on you if you're not going out. But if you're going out there and you're making, then he's going to concentrate his efforts on you, you know? Oh yeah. The closer I get to God, the more I feel, um, the devil trying yep. to derail me. Um, and it comes in all forms, you know, just when you think you've got this side covered, he'll come from the other side. And and he's a, he's a sneaky bastard, you know. Oh, terrible, terrible. And um, I mean, I know two pastors, I know, right, two pastors that have, have been totally not not taken over, but they've been totally sidetracked by by evil. I mean, one guy, he's such a lovely man. You know, he's a strong believer in Jesus. He runs his own church. He's great. He loves Jesus. But he's been helping out one guy who, who's, who, who's a practitioner of the occult. And this guy is totally and utterly um, deceiving this pastor. And he, he's, um, he's causing problems in his marriage. He's causing problems in, on all levels with him, you know. And, uh, and it's not good, you know. And, and this pastor can't see it because the curse has been put on him. You know, the spell's been put on him so he doesn't see it. It, it was quite interesting because something was said to me by one, one survivor and he gave me two words, two names and he said in Satanism it's mind control so if you say them two names to me now, you will trigger me and you will cause me to have total acquiescence to what you're going to do I said okay and he said so there's many different words but it have different triggers and he said it, you know, so what will happen is I can live a normal life for 13 years. And so the first I will ceremony takes place at the age of 13, where they're involved themselves. They have to kill a child, right, at the age of 13. They have to do it because what they're doing is killing the inner child that is made by God, right? So they will kill an innocent child, right? So that then splits them away from God. Right, um, and then it's a blood sacrifice. Always sodomy. Sodomy is the devil's tool. It 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 causes acquiescence straight away. So, beforehand, he said before the ritual, 
your handlers will approach you. They will say these coded words, which will cause you to freeze. Then you're sodomized, and then you're taken to the ritual, and you will comply with it. And then you're coated in the blood for the next 13 years. So you can carry on your life. So, so he said these two words, and he, uh, he said, don't say them out. They were written down, given to me. He said other code words uh, will get me to kill, you know, um, but they will have numbers in them. This one will cause me to 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 stop doing aqueous to you and to forget everything that is done. Now, and when I, I researched these words, there were names. And one of them was the name of the river that flows through Hades. It's not the river Styx, it's something else. And when you cross that river in, in you know, whatever uh, folklore or whatever it is, I think it's Greek or whatever, I don't know, um, you forget all your past lives. So it's an amnesia word, right? So that causes amnesia. The next word was the Norse god Odin. It's the Norse god Odin's son who was blind. So that means you won't see what they're doing to you. So you'll be blind. You'll be blinded by it. You'll have me total memory blackout and everything else. So if the police ask you, you don't, won't remember, you can't recall anything because the mind control stepped in. And what he said to me that all of these gods, whether it will be, it could be the Nigerian god um, that comes from juju, from voodoo, you know, uh, such as the Mammy Water. It could be Leviathan, you know, which is, uh, you know, one of the main demons or Baal or whatever. As they saw, all of them demons. It could be the Greek gods. These Greek gods, Apollo and all them, they're, they're demons. And, and these Norse gods and pagan gods and some Hindu deities, they're all demonic. And they all have a place in the demonic realm, you know. Um, so it was a, a real big wake up. And I was thinking, wow, it, it, the power that's in words, that there is immense power that's in words, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so with me, uh, being a soldier for Jesus, it made me think more about how I conduct myself. Uh, you know, I stopped smoking. Um, I've cut down on alcohol to, to a very minimal level, you know. Um, still got a way to go with that one, but at the moment, uh, where it was a problem, now it's very much under wrap. Even swearing, you know, I've realised that when we say swear words, you know, F this or see you next Tuesday, whatever, they all refer to the sexual organs, you know. It's always sexual, debasing, you know, lower chakra, everything else. So you, you bring in the tone of everything down and down and down and down and down. It's, you know, and that's what they want to do. They, the devil's plan is to throw mud and dirty everything, make everything polluted, you know, everything that is precious and clean, pollute it. And like with sexual abuse, sexualizing children, you know, you have sex with a child that child is ruined forever, forever. That soul is ruined, you know. And why do they do it? And there's many reasons they do it, you know. Um, control, mental illness or whatever. But one thing is they have a choice. They can choose not to do it or they can choose to do it, you know. And that is it. The choice is there. For some, it's a more difficult choice because they've been sexualized as a child anyway, you know. And for others, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, 
a bit easier for them to make that choice. But it's still a choice, you know, and the kid has no choice. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. Can, can you explain to people what you uh, have blown the whistle on and continue yeah. to whistle on? Of course, yeah. So for those who don't know me, you know, I, I was a police detective in London uh, with the Metropolitan Police, you know, which is seen really as a premier police force in the world. I mean, I was a Scotland Yard detective. Um, so I worked for units, central units, you know, and, and they're, again, they're seen as a benchmark for policing throughout the world. Um, I, I did manage to retire. I, I retired with 27 and a half years service, pensionable service. Um, albeit I, I actually worked 25 years, but, um, and I specialized in, uh, investigating sexual abuse of children. And, um, I was on an investigation in which young girls from the care system, these children from children's homes in London, uh, they ranged from nine to 14. There were some boys, but mainly girls and they were being used as prostitutes. Um, they were um, taken from one end of the, the social scale so they, they could be, you know, in the morning passed around um, a crack house and exchanged for crack cocaine and heroin. And um, on the upper end, they'd be taken to a very upmarket. I mean, the wealthiest part of, of London and, and maybe the Western world is an area called Mayfair. Uh, very, very opulent. Again, it, it's in near enough the same region as Buckingham Palace, and they could be traded in a high-end restaurant for five hundred to two thousand pound an hour. You know, uh, so there was no end to it. There were the information that we started getting were, were of the clients, and they ranged from executives within the BBC, um, judges, police officers, um, right the way down to. To, to street dealers, drug dealers, Jamaican crack dealers, all sorts, you know. Uh, and these children were, were, were supporting um, Class A drug addictions because they got them all on heroin and crack cocaine, which is there's a need to do that because they've got a chemical inducement on them then, you know. Um, so that's important to keep them on that medicated uh, level. And a lot of them then uh, did have life-threatening diseases uh, because people will pay more money for unprotected sex and, and everything else. And these children are ignorant to it. They don't fully understand what, what STDs and things like that are. And um, it resulted in the main witness we had, um, you know, good girl. She was a good girl when you got to know her. You know, these were tough kids, you know, they had tough lives. And, uh, you know, she stood up and spoke out very brave, very brave. And she was found dead. Um, unexplained dead, just dumped on the street. A body was just thrown on the street and, and she was overdosed with a drug that she'd never taken. It was an opiate. Don't know how that, no one knows how it happened, but she was still a, a young kid, you know, and uh, enough was enough. And I spoke out and I said, look, uh, I went and met the boss and said, you know, th th this is huge. This is massive. Um, one kid came forward, two kids, three kids. And in the end, there were dozens of children. They were, com they were coming forward daily. Uh, and, and we'd exposed a massive ring that that was occurring, um, and it was very organised and well connected. Uh, and there was two of us working on it, and I was hoping that with the intelligence I had, that that, that we could um, secure great funding and get uh, you know a, a big operation running on it. You know that 
Scotland Yard could dedicate us some more detectives and we could run uh, a, a great big sort of um, incident room led uh, operation. So I reported it to a very senior officer and uh, instead of backing me, he turned around and threatened me. So he turned around and he threatened me that if I spoke out, he said, you don't know what you're dealing with, right? He said, if you mention a word of this outside this room, you will be thrown to the wolves. He said, this cannot get out. If it does, we, as a police service, the Metropolitan Police, will be F-U-C-K'd, past, present and future. You've got no idea who you're dealing with. If you mention a word of it, you will be thrown to the wolves. That's what he said. You will lose your home. You will lose your job. You will lose your children. That's what he said. And I, I was frightened. I went away and I ended up leaving that unit. I went to another child abuse unit. I was on, that was a vice unit and I went to a child abuse unit and I did exactly the same thing. Um, within one, one week, uh, well, five days, I found 50 children that were being exploited. And I, in the end, um, I spoke out and I made allegations of corruption uh, against this officer and his two senior colleagues. And instead of the police looking after me, what happened was then they turned all their efforts onto investigating me. And they, so they went through 15 years of my emails. Um, they, this is how desperate. So I got arrested for theft and, and that's crime of dishonesty. Uh, and what that was, was I, I used to, because I'd never had much money, I used to run a business at the weekends, tree surgery, cutting trees. Um, I used to be in the police abseiling uh, unit and I could climb. I was a good climber and I did a course on tree surgery. So me and one of my sons, we used to go and cut trees for cash, you know. Um, and whilst I was at work one night, I printed out a uh, an invoice on the police computer, one sheet of paper and they classed. Are you there? It says you're not connected. Right, can you, sorry, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah. Sorry about, yeah, so, sorry about that. Someone rang and it muted my mic. Okay. Um, uh, you know, so so they started attacking me. Um, they, they arrested me for attempt uh, conspiracy to supply class A drugs and again it's it's even more ludicrous that story it's ridiculous um, a bit long winded to go into but it, it's quite comical um, and they said you could get 15 years for that they they started um, arresting me for all because um, uh, uh, I used to work with informants you know um, people giving information to the police I would access a lot of information and a lot of my work was covert in nature. So um, I would have access to a lot of information. So what they looked through was audit trail of all the information I looked at. And then they deemed a lot of what I was looking at was unlawful. So they said that I, I data protection violations, um, one after the other after the other for them. And it just kept going. It, they, they didn't stop. They didn't stop. They kept going and going and going. Uh, so there was a three-year campaign. And in the meantime, so what I did was I went sick. I thought, well, I'm not putting up with this. So I went sick. And the commissioner of police agreed that I'd suffered an injury on duty as a result of being bullied. And I said, look, we're going to pay you. And I never got paid. 
So I went three years and didn't get any money. Wow. So I, I'm now looking at, you know, they said you lose your job. I was looking at losing my home because uh, I couldn't pay my mortgage. The bank actually came around my home to to do an assessment to look at repossessing my house and things. But when they heard what I went through, the bank were really good. And they said, look, just pay one pound, one English pound a month and, and we'll, we'll put your mortgage on hold. And they were really good to me. Um, I got a job working in construction, you know, um, and then I lost that because the British newspapers did a story on me and the, the builder I was working for, he, he got frightened that he might end up getting in trouble for paying me cash in hand and working and when I was still employed officially by the police, you know. So yeah. he he had to let me go, which is a shame because it was nice. I liked the job. It was it was good, okay, you know. Um, and then I'm looking at going to prison. I had nine cases I were putting before the courts. Uh, you know, I, I was confident that I would win every single one. However, if you've got nine cases, and one, the jury might, because I was going to take everything to a crown court and be tried by a jury, you know, I'm not going to be dealing with it on a lower court. And I said, I'll go to a crown court. You're, you're not trying me, you know, at lower court. And then my children. So when my son died, and then, then they arrested me and tried to take my youngest son into into protective services, you know, into the care system. But at, by that time that happened, I'd made an agreement with Jesus, you know. I'd, I'd uh, agreed to do his work, and I fought back. And I, I, I really did fight back. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I ran into the battle after that. Before I was cold up in the ball, I was frightened. And after that, I, I honestly, I, I, I picked up my cross and I ran towards the enemy, you know, with no fear whatsoever. And and they fell, they fell, each and every one of them. Bang, 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 bang. They went down, and every single case against me was thrown out. Um, I managed to get my pension, you know, um, and then they allowed me to retire, um, you know, two years early, I got my retirement uh, and it all turned round. And then I thought, what am I going to do? I've got all these skills. And then I was just thinking about it one day and I was talking to someone who ran a children's home and she said, look, your, your expertise is interviewing, you're a communicator. I went, yeah, I said, well, use them. You know, give the give those the voiceless a voice. I said, well, "What do you mean? Well, why don't you go and interview them and call it a voice to the voiceless?" And I thought, "Oh, okay." So I did. I I I got my my iPhone and I um someone showed me how to use it, and then I went round just speaking to survivors of abuse and said, "What happened?" And they told me. And then I put it out and it was incredible. So many people watched it. And then someone else got in touch with me and said, like, I was in a kid's home. I said, well, wait, I'll come and see you. And I ended up traveling all over Europe, doing interviews, you know, and then I started doing interviews. I never went there, but over the, you know, the Zoom system um, in America, I, I, I did an interview with uh, Frank Serpico. Wow. Uh, you, you know, um, must admit, I wasn't too impressed with him, you know, but still, you know, he, he you know, his name. And then um, I started then, this is when I started getting the 
ritual abuse survivors coming in. First one come, then two come. And they were probably 10% of the people I spoke to. But towards the end, they were near enough 100% of the people I spoke to were coming to me. But that brought problems because I started getting really organised attacks. Very, very concentrated organised attacks. So before I might get someone who was a bit mentally ill that might get a bit triggered by me. So they'll love me. See, the problem when you're dealing with survivors, you go from hero to zero straight away. Yeah. Uh, so what they'll do is they'll idol worship you. They'll think, you know, oh, this guy's brilliant. And, you know, in the moment they realise you're a human being, they're like, oh, he's just like everyone else. You know, you let them down on one thing, then they hate you. Or they'll get drunk and then they'll attack you. You know, you're bringing you up and start shouting abuse. And next day they love you again. You know, so they were sort of up and down, up and down because that's how their minds work and all that but the satanic abuse and i could live with it to a degree but the satanic abuse was different it hurt it was spiteful their comments were just you could feel it you knew that there was an essence behind it there was uh, an influence a demonic influence behind their comments and what they started doing was transcribing every interview i did and they would look for any signs of homophobia uh anti-semitism uh, Islamophobia or whatever and then if I spoke about an ongoing case in the British judicial system they would contact the Attorney General which is the higher adjudication for the criminal justice system and if you go against them you get a finding of contempt you go to prison you see so I was getting threats with prison for contempt I was getting solicitors ring me because I mentioned about a politician who's a paedophile you know, and I'm not allowed to mention it. Uh, and I would get um, things from the police um, saying, you know, that you mentioned this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, um, so the police would ring me up quite a bit. And when once they were quite good, because as soon as you explain to them that this is total nonsense, he's uh, whoever's contacted you is an idiot. And on, on every occasion that they come back and went, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, we, we have written off. We just got, you know, thank you. So they knew these people were. were not right in the head but i would also raise money to put a survivor of abuse through rehabilitation through alcohol or drugs whatever you know so i would campaign uh to raise money so i'd do endurance things like walking 400 miles with my dog i'd do 20 mile swims and bike rides for 300 miles and things like that raise a lot of money and give it to rehab centers and it would also keep my campaign going but some of the money i was also helping survivors who contacted me so for example one person can pay their electricity bill so i could pay their electricity bill i was doing i got hold of a van and i was doing food parcels for, for survivors that were in poverty so i was every thursday getting food parcels and i got reported for all of it yeah. um, and then i got the tax office speaking to me a serious fraud office because these people were reporting me all the time all the time um uh, you know so it it made me more wily and more wise you know um so i started withdrawing from sort of frontline ministry as it were you know and um and sort of dropping down a little bit and uh i'm happier really now doing that because you know, when you speak out, you also give the devil a lot of ammunition, you know, um, because it's a spoken word. You know, he doesn't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. 
And when you start speaking out, then his ears go up. And then these these trolls and the, these weird devil worshipping individuals, and they are, they're, they're very weird people. Very, And when you actually do meet them, they're very, very strange, you know. Um, and they, they, they've been a real nightmare. Uh, and again, I'm not, they don't bother me. Um, I'm not interested, but they've caused problems. So when people asked why have I stepped away, it, it was because I was fueling, um, you know, their fury and their fantasy. And I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not giving them any fuel, any energy. I can still do what I do. Um, and I'm dealing with stuff, more serious stuff now. Before it's quite trivial matters. Now, the stuff I get involved in is very, very serious. You know, it's um, it's dangerous. Some of the stuff, you know. But I've, I've, you know, I've spoken to great people. I've spoken to John Ramirez, you know, I've um, Thomas Dunn, Russ Dizdar, you know, over in the US, and real warriors for for Christ, you know, that that go out there front line uh, against evil, and um, I think that's what God wants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I first learned your name from uh, I was watching the documentary Fall of Cabal, and she mentioned you as someone to research in that. Um, have you seen that documentary? And is she accurate? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite good. Is it a Dutch lady that put it together? Yeah, uh, yeah. Hossebard is her last name. Yeah, yeah. I've never met her. Um, you know, again, but when I watched it, it was very well put together. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's a lot that I don't talk about. You know, there's still a few things that um, I'm in the process of writing a book. And again, I've got to be careful what I put out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the children are fuel. And it always will come down to sexual abuse. Always, you know. Even these people that are multimillionaires and all that, they, they come from damage. They come from damaged, abusive backgrounds. And they do. Um I think one of the people in there was um, uh, something Bernard, um, the Dutch banker. Um, Leopold or something like that. Yeah. You know, and and again, he comes from, you know, uh, an an abusive background and, you know, things like that. And so, so even like with the worship of money, these are people that are emotionally stunted because something happened in their life. And, you know, and they filled the gap other ways. Um, but that it, it is. It's very sinister. Um, it's ancient. It's gone on for a long time. These people worship the, the, these demonic idols, you know. Um, and and each, see, each demon will, will have their place in society. So, you know, um, one will be there for money, you know. Um, you've got demons like Baal, which is there for like the justice system and money and influence and power, you know. You've got Leviathan, which is there for the cosmetic industry and for um, fame and fortune, you know. Um, and they've all got their place, so they will all worship a, a demon, but a different demon because of what they want. And And you see it all the time. You've only got to watch, you know, people like Madonna and Lady Gaga to see, you know, how how ingrained this is you know yeah and, and it is it's so well established and it's also a huge business i mean can you can you put a, a number on it like as far as like human trafficking and that kind of thing do you um no i, I think there was um 
uh, in Canada, they, they, they did come up with a sum of, of, uh, of how much abuse is down to ritual abuse. I can't remember it now. Um, it's something like one in 10, but I mean, there, there was, there was something that was, was brought out in the, in the British judicial system. And, uh, it was during a trial and it was mentioned that the one, 25%, so one in four, has suffered abuse. And, and the presiding judge who had worked in the family courts turned around and said, I think you'll find it's more like one in three. So, you know, that's which, which is what was said to me by a sex crime profiler. He turned around and said, yeah, 33% is, is more the, uh, the accurate figure. Um, and he said that will work in your favour, might work against you sometimes because, you know, there is a percentage of those that have been abused that go on to abuse. So abusers on the whole come from abuse. And I'm not saying in any way that just because someone's abused that they go on to abuse. I'm not saying that, but the, the propensity is greater. Um, someone who has been sexually abused is six times more likely to get involved in human trafficking and be a victim of trafficking. So it will weaken them. It will weaken their resolve. And not only that, their life choices change. So they will pick partners that, that, that might emanate, you know, the abuser and things like that. And that happens a lot. Women will pick men that go on to be violent or angry or abusive themselves, you know. And um, there, there, there's a lady who gave a testimony, about, she's brilliant, a lady called Carol Higgins, and she was uh, abused by her own father uh, from, from very early on. And, and, and she turned around and she said that when she actually met with her father years later and confronted him with the abuse, and she found, you know, what he did for a living, he was a builder, he did this, he did that, Play golf did it, and she found out her her husband, who she divorced, was a replica of him. So she ended up picking someone exactly the same, uh, you know. Uh, but then domestic violence, and so much of society. When we look, if we go on about figures, eighty percent of the of the people residing in British prisons have come from abusive backgrounds. Eighty percent. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily sexual abuse, but it's abuse, you know, uh, and. You know, 80% of all abuse goes on in the family, in the home. You know, um, if you've got a step-parent, you, your likelihood of being abused goes up again. It, 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 the, the, the chance of you being sexually abused by um, a step-parent absolutely rockets. You know, so they're, they're, the factors are, are just appalling. It, and it, it just destroys society. And, of course, what it will do then, it will sexualise someone when they don't need to be sexualised. So that causes problems in its own right. It causes promiscuity and everything else. So there, if it, ever you, you get a chance, if you, I can put you in touch with them, there, there's a, a brilliant um, testimony by two brothers, and they're called the Blair brothers. Uh, they're twins, they're identical twins, and they were put into the care system in Northern Ireland but they were Catholics, so they, they, you know the sectarianism in that part of the world. You know, the, you've got the Protestant and you've got the, the Catholics, and there's been a civil war there, you know, for, for quite a long time, and that's well documented anyway. Uh, but it, we, we're just seeing now that you know the, the conclusion of of decade-long uh, investigations into the failings in in the care system in the United Kingdom and its overseas territories. So there's been a lot of sexual abuse 
that has gone on in the care system in the United Kingdom. It's it's big business. It is big business. And there's many reasons for this, you know, but it all comes down to money anyway at the end of the day. But these brothers were, were placed into a Catholic um, home run by the De La Salle brothers. So it's a, a, a Catholic order called the De La Salle. And again, it's only when these inquiries take place you find out why there was a propensity of abuse within these offshoots of Catholicism. Because 80% of all, all, all Catholicism, you know, um, I think in Europe, they're, they're orders. So they're side orders from the Catholic Church. So therefore they're not adjudicated by the Pope. They are self-adjudicating units. So when you've got like, like these things like the De La Salle and many, many others, you know, the Brothers of This and the Sisters of Mercy and all these little units that set up, get this funding, set up these homes, live, live these lives that they live, you know, without paying a penny and live free, you know, um, and then go on to totally abuse uh, those under their care, you know, such as the children. Now, this De La Salle order, what they were doing was they were getting these young boys and they, they were pimping them out. And they were pimping them out to terrorist organisations as well, you know. And and these brothers are identical, so they become quite an anomaly in the perversion world, you know. The in the raping of young boy, they took it to another level. When these lads were telling me that when they um they were made to rape each other, you know, and that these are brothers now in the fifties. And, and they're telling us this, you know, uh, they both went on to join the military. They're tough guys, you know. But, you know, at the age of 12, 14, they're having to rape each other, you know, and sodomise each other. And I said, but why? Who in front? And he said, if we didn't, we would be beaten, badly beaten, and we would be raped. He said, in front of a load of priests who just sat around masturbating. Ugh. You know, and he said, these are priests that were giving communion you know, in the church on the Sunday and everyone, because Ireland, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Ireland, I don't know if you've got any Irish relatives, um, but... I've been to Ireland. Yeah, and you can see how, what a stronghold the Catholic Church has on Ireland. You know, it's it's powerful, you know. No one says a bad word against, you know, uh, Mother Mary, you know, it's... Um, and the church is absolute and a priest is seen as God himself, you know. So you never got any anything reported um, of the abuse. And there was terrible abuse went on in them homes. Terrible, terrible abuse. But what one of the guys told me, and he said, all I, never, all I ever knew was to be sodomized and to perform oral sex on men. That's all, you know, my first night in at the age of nine, I was bent over and raped my first night in. You know, and other boys were made to rape them. So then you get a conspiracy of silence then because the other children are made to rape the other kids. So they become rapists. So the kids that leave them, they all are in that. And that's how you get silence, you see. That's how secret societies work. This is how um, um, uh, they, these cults work and things like that. Because every, like Satanism, you don't get any bystanders in Satanism. It's not a spectator sport. You turn up at a ritual, you're drinking blood, end of. And that's that. And people go, oh, I went along and it went for me. They're liars. They would have taken part in, in that ritual. And that's that. You know, so this is what they do to the kids. They taint them. They get them involved in their dirty conspiracy. 
And that's how they, they keep their silence. And if you've got boys, especially boys, teenage boys, they're heavily, heavily swamped with testosterone and masturbate constantly. And if you've got then someone who's been sexualized, it's going to make it worse. And this one guy said, all I knew was homosexuality. So when I left, and they throw them out. So when they're 16, they throw them out. They've done their job. They've got government money, and it's human trafficking. So these children's homes are human trafficking. So if a child is moved from one home to another, there there is a transfer made. So they make money from it. The government will pay it. So they get the funding for them being in there, right? Um, uh, so they're getting paid either way. So it's money, 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 money. And then, of course, the children are used for sex parties. So they make money there. Porno films are made. So this is this is the seat of pornography it's in these places you know and it's not just the boys the girls will go through it themselves as well and um this guy said 16 what did he do he went to a public toilet and just waited for a man to come in to the toilet because these are places where we call it importuning in this country where a man will go meet another man for the purpose of, of sexual contact in public toilets which stink you know it's a you know so that's why they've all shut down in this country because they were just used as centers for sodomy, you know. So this lad would go in there and, and would perform sex acts on men in public toilets just to get money to survive, to so become a rent boy. And that's all he knew. And he said he would he would seek out men for sexual partners. And he said he went to a pub one day, of uh, which Ireland's got many, and then had a beer and met a girl. And he said, she kissed me, John. She kissed me. And he said, she smelt lovely. She tasted nice. And I knew I wasn't gay. I, I wasn't. But all I knew before was abuse, 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 abuse. Now, I'm not saying in any way, to twist my words, that, you know, that all homosexuals come from abuse. Right. But, but what I will say is that in that community, there is a high percentage of, of pain that's come from somewhere. And I'm not saying it's all, I'm not in, in no way because I just get shouted down from it. But there's a lot of broken people in that community, you know? Yeah. You know? And I'd like to know maybe if we didn't have a society that openly abuses children and promotes the abuse of children because it's what, what it actually does do, you know, failing to prosecute people, especially of prominence in the United Kingdom, but it is a global thing when they are caught for raping children you know yeah we've seen it so many times when survivors of abuse have spoke out against politicians and they go to prison they're telling the truth but what happens is again this brings it back to what i said earlier about 80 percent of the people in prison you know when you're in pain and and that's not just physical pain that's emotional pain and spiritual pain you know you need a painkiller and there's one of the best painkillers out there, and it's called heroin, you know? And you haven't got to go to a doctor. You take that, and all of a sudden, your, your, your troubles are gone. But there's a problem with heroin, and it's an obvious one, and we all know about it, you know? And then from there, you get an addiction, which needs to be paid for. So that gets paid for by crime, by stealing. You know, women do prostitution, men do stealing thieving robbing whatever you might call it you know shoplifting and then you get caught and then you get caught and you're labeled as a person of dishonesty because you've committed dishonest crime so when these allegations started coming out in their masses in the united kingdom the british government changed the law 
Whereas before, in a Crown Court in this country, you could not use anyone's previous convictions unless certain exceptions applied, right? You couldn't use them. So you can have a million convictions for robbery, and as far as the court knows, on that occasion when you're in there, you've never done it before. Until you're sentenced or you're acquitted and the jury are told, you know? Yeah. So some are shocked, some aren't, you know? But they changed the law, and everyone thought, this is a good step forward for justice. So... These thieving individuals, they don't, they can't get away with it now because everyone's going to know they are a liar and a thief. So when they're up for lying and thieving, we know they're a liar and a thief because we've been told. Okay, that that placates the conservative element of society, who who's hard on criminal justice and wants to lock them up and never see them again. Throw away the key, right? Okay, I get that. I understand that, and society needs protection. But why? And what happens is because these were victims of sexual abuse that ended up in that cycle of drug addiction and dishonest crime to, to you know, to sort of heal them wounds and to survive, you know. And all of a sudden they now want to make an allegation as to why they're like that because a member of parliament or someone high up in society annually raped them. And straight away, bang, we've got to change this. So they brought this, this uh, act of law in in 2003 when they can bring this in. So straight away, you can ruin and destroy a victim of sexual abuse uh, before the trial's even begun. You can start off at opening speeches. This is a man of dishonesty. This is a proven liar. This is this. And it wasn't just for convictions. They could also look at the school reports of these children, these adults that were in the children, and also the children's homes reports. So when these children would go, and they did go to, to the higher up, um, people in the children's homes and say look excuse me to the head of the home so and so mr so and so is doing this to me at night they were usually whipped and beaten and it was put in a the book they were a liar it makes up stories a fantasist you know and then years later 40 years later they could bring that into a court and we started seeing that and we started seeing with survivors of abuse going to prison you know and it's and not only do they go to prison, they get huge sentences. And it gives out a massive message to survivors, you will shut your mouth. You right. will shut your mouth. Um, but, you know, we, we had the Jimmy Savile expose in this country. Uh, the entertainer Jimmy Savile got right. well documented globally. Friend of Prince Charles, who's now our king. Um, he was his mentor. And... Uh, Jimmy Savile was a, a paedophile, you know, a necrophiliac. There was rumours he could be involved in, in the murder of children, you know, but he was definitely what they call a fixer. He would organise the children to be taken to various people. Some of them could have been in royalty uh, for sexual abuse, you know. Um, so, and his best friend is now our king, you know. So, but what happens is this man was evil. You know, he was even a friend of the Pope's, for whatever that's worth. You know, he was an, made an honorary Catholic or whatever it was, you know. And um, I think there was um, stuff came through from the Vatican when at his funeral um, and everything else. But he, he was evil. But he actually did God's work because when he got exposed, the whole, when he died, people come forward, right? So the BBC, which is again seen as a benchmark of broadcasting around the world, they covered it up. They covered it up to such a monumental degree and they were allowed to adjudicate 
on a public inquiry and said, no, we've looked into ourselves. There's no findings of guilt. But too many people come forward. Thousands come forward, right? So many. There was hundreds of cases, allegations of rape. And the sexual assaults went into the thousands. And so a public inquiry went on and it was found, yeah, this bloke is a serial paedophile, rapist, necrophiliac, everything else. You know, where the BBC said they did a thorough job and then a year later, an independent inquiry was done and it said, no, this this is a serious man. But as a result of that, not only did the survivors come forward, whistleblowers started coming forward. So you started getting people in the care system and then you start getting um, police officers coming forward and I was one of them, you know. So it gave us the platform. So this man, it backfired. And I think we're going to see this in, in, in society now. We're going to see this backfiring. I don't think these people are going to get away with this like they have done in the past. I think now that people are going to start speaking out. And I would advise anyone, speak out, but always use your wisdom. Always use the wisdom God gave you. You know, um, if it's happened to you, speak the truth. But if you don't know it's happened to someone else, then, then that's their battle, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise you'll get, we've got liable laws in this country and you end up going to prison for saying things about someone that you don't actually know that it's true, you know? Yeah. Uh, you've just heard a rumour. So you've got to be careful. But if it happened to you and it's the truth, speak out. Speak out, you know? And and do it forthright. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, and, and I plan on putting this on Rockfin, which is a platform that's not censored or anything. Um, and we can cut out anything that you don't want in here. But No, I'm, I'm fine up to now. So. Okay. Um, are you familiar with the, like the Pizzagate thing? And do you have an opinion yeah. on it? Like, yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I've, I've seen in that documentary, Follow Cabal, the, the people who are like celebrities or, or people who have a, a big platform that have spoken out about this kind of thing, a lot of them have ended up committing suicide yeah yeah and uh after a while it, it's hard to not think that's goes beyond just a coincidence you know what i mean um yeah yeah well well it you know it controls global politics you know so um years ago uh in, in same british politics for example i do follow some of the u.s stuff but you know I've got big interest in British politics because I think this is a cesspit over here. You know, this is really is bad because we had uh, a prime minister called Ted Heath who was a child murderer and he's an active Satanist. Ted Heath, if anyone wants any cooperation, please Google the Reigns list. Reigns, R-A-I-N-S, Romeo, Alpha, India, November, Sierra. The Reigns list, Satanism. Pull it in, it'll come up. And it's, it's a list made up by uh, Dr. Joan Coleman, uh, a psychiatrist who, over many years, interviewed survivors of ritual abuse. And if they mentioned a name, she wrote it down. If two or more people mentioned the same name, it went into her report. So it's 16 pages, and it's a list of actors, um, politicians, members of the clergy. It's incredible. And one of my former bosses in the police is on there, you know? Um so it's dangerous. So years ago, someone, for example, was a homosexual, right? In British politics, you, you go to prison, right? So you've got people like Alan Turing, who invented the Enigma machine. That's where they reckon the apple, bite out the apple, 
in for Apple computers comes from, but it's not. It's the Garden of Eden, but because uh, they poisoned an apple when he ate it and he died. The, the government. Now he was a homosexual. Now he invented this Enigma machine, you know, um, and he knew he knew too much, so he died. He was poisoned. Um, so it, it, it has always happened. They've always used it, you know, because what do these people know? Now, if you've got um, a politician, so so years ago, you you could you could bully someone for being gay, right? But now we've got an open society and. It's not illegal anymore. What's it matter? You know, apart from the Islamic world, you know, and then cocaine. So people um, years ago would uh, take cocaine if they were caught. My God, it's a big problem. You know, you're going to prison or you lose your career. But now people are openly sniffing cocaine. And in fact, if you don't, you're not going to go anywhere. So you've got to do cocaine. So cocaine's a big thing, you know, not, you know, not a big deal anymore. But the sexual abuse of a child is still illegal. Still illegal, right? So they can still be used to coerce someone, you know? Coerce, all, you know, so that, it, it, and it is used, and it is used, and these parties go on, and when they go on, they're all videoed. They're videoed and, and coming up and everything else. And that's why it's used, and it's used as a blackmail tool. Um, and it controls politics. And once you've got someone blackmailed, they're going to do exactly as they're told. So we had Ted Heath, our former prime minister. I've spoken to victims of his, you know. Uh, I've, I've spoken to people who have been at satanic rituals and said that he's been there, um, as was, um, you know, um, a member of the, the royal family. Well, quite a few members, actually, but I won't say anything about that, um, their names. But... Um, Ted Heath took England, the UK, sorry, Britain into into the European Union. Now, was he made to do that over blackmail? You don't know. We had a Home Secretary called Leon Britton. A lot of allegations were made against this guy, a lot. You know, he was in charge of law and order. Yet there was allegations of him involved with children. You know, what's going on? You know, if, if you've got a minister for alcohol and you know that he's an alcoholic, you're going to say, well, we, we can't put him in there. He's just going to drink away all the findings. What's the point of that? So why would you put um, uh, a politician who likes young boys in, in charge of something like that? Because they're a, they're a security threat, for example. You know, Leon Britton ended up uh, being a minister to Northern Ireland. Well, it, well, surely he's a security threat. You, you know, when 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 you go for these jobs, and I've gone for these jobs, and I, and, I, and I secured one job once, and it was to do with top secret information. You get a thing called vetting, right? And I've 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 completed and passed deep vetting. You have to make a list of all your sexual partners, you know, um, your friendships. Um, you have to make a list of, of everything you do with your money, where you've gone. You you can't be involved in if you watch pornography. You've got to tell them. You can't be involved in, in swinging parties. A lot of homosexuals fail. This is a fact, and this isn't homophobia. They fail deep vetting. They fail it because of their propensity for for numerous sexual partners, you know, promiscuity, right, which makes them weak in respect to when it comes to, to blackmail and coercion. There's always a lever there, right? So they're admitting that, that sexual um, levers, coercions, are a reality and will be used. So, uh, you know, and this, that was actually said to me 
by a, a lesbian, a, a detective sergeant is a lesbian who, who said, look, it's a fact that on, on certain jobs, they, there won't be many homosexuals because the vetting won't allow it. Uh, so if that makes you a security risk because you're involved in swinging parties, which has got nothing to do with them, but it has because it still weakens you because you've got a weakness and homosexuality is then seen as some sort of weakness in respect to that. Why are they allowing a politician, right, such as uh, Ted Heath, to become a cabinet minister and then the premier minister, the prime minister, when... He, he was well known as being involved in young boys. It's well documented. It's, it's, it's public knowledge. His name even appears on the range list as not only being involved in that, but also a Satanist, you know? So why is that allowed? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But if you look on it in respect to blackmail, it makes all the sense in the world. All the sense in the world. These are dirty people. And they sold their soul. And part of what they do is that they like to have sex with kids. It's part of what they do. Children are currency. You can use a line of cocaine once, you know, a bottle of expensive brandy once, right? Children you use them many, many, many times, many times. And these are children from these care homes. They're not going to say anything. They don't understand what politics is. They don't remember, you know, and they're going to spend the rest of their lives off their head through alcohol and drugs anyway. So what's it matter? You know, no one's going to believe them. So yeah. it, it, it's win-win for these people. Yeah, you know, without getting into politics, a lot of the things that have happened in the last year or two, you know, I, I've said to my wife, I'm like, these people have to be, um, to be making some of these decisions, governors and senators and all that, they've got to be blackmailed in some regard. You know, I... I to, to make some of these decisions that they've made and they've got to be compromised because some of them are just so crazy, you know, some of the decisions they've made. Um, so I, I, I believe that stuff a hundred percent. Well, well, you wouldn't get anywhere if you was clean, you wouldn't, you, you'd be of no use to them, you know? Uh, and, and you know, there, there is a conspiracy. I was at the center of a conspiracy conspiracy you know, is, is two or more people getting together for a, for a criminal aim, a criminal goal. As long as they're not husband and wife, husband and wife can't conspire in law, but everyone else can, you know? And it, it, it's part of law. It's penciled in law, conspiring to do armed robbery, conspiring to import drugs. Yeah. You know, conspiracy is in law. So when they say it, it's a conspiracy fact, is the, the, the dirty word there is theory, but it's not a theory, you know? If you've been anally raped by the Archbishop of Canterbury or someone high up in the Vatican, how is that a theory? It's not a theory. It happened, you know? It yeah. is a fact. Well, didn't didn't they just... Yeah, I, I believe somebody... I don't remember where I learned this, but the, the term conspiracy theory was coined in the 50s by the CIA basically to make anyone who questioned official narratives sound crazy. And now, anytime... I'm so sick of that particular phrase oh he's a conspiracy theorist i'm like no he's just saying what's true um so it it kind of drives me crazy that so many things are dismissed as conspiracy theory and i think that it makes it easier for people to look the other way oh they're just a crazy conspiracy theorist or whatever and then they don't want to admit that like this kind of stuff happens and it's as rampant as it is um so 
But well, well there, there's always a need to denigrate. They've got to denigrate. So when when you when you're onto something, you know they got they've got to rubbish you. You know, and that's that's how they'll do it. Um, you see it all the time. And some people they're called spin doctors. They're very very good at it. You know, so you know this is what what they had to do with me. The the, the ritual abuse um, lovers. They they had to. They, they there's an open forum. And they put me down as a top 10 of what we they call a Satan hunters, right? So uh, one was, uh, uh, are you familiar with Russ Dizdar? No. The, he's an American Christian, and, and he was one of the main ones speaking out about ritual abuse. He was killed in a car accident last year, you know. Um, uh, Wilfred Wong was a barrister in the United Kingdom who was... Um, phenomenal individual uh, who was who's done more really to expose rich satanic ritual abuse than anyone i think on the planet he's just uh, he's serving a 23 year prison sentence now and, and they've got me in their sights now as the number one target to take down because i speak out against it so they do everything to rubbish me uh to make me out to be a nutcase and, and a conspiracy theorist uh, and everything else it's what they do but you know what so what so i don't care i don't care what they think and everything else you know, I've spent many, many working hours. It probably amounts to, to years in, in the Crown Court system. You know, very adversarial system in the United Kingdom. It's very old, very ancient, and it's an aggressive place, you know. And um, and I've had some of the, the, the best barristers, what they call a Queen's Council, cross-examine me for hours and hours and hours and hours. These idiots getting paid £400 an hour to cross-examine me on the truth, you know. And I can always remember uh, a girl who'd been raped over many years as a child by her stepfather, who's like a drug dealer and, and thinks he's a hard man. But, you know, it, it, these people are worms, they're maggots, you know. And uh, uh, they afford um, victims of such horrific abuse to, to give their evidence remotely via a video link. And she was a 17-year-old girl who occurred when she was like nine, ten years old. She said, John, I want to go into court like you do. I want to go. And I said, okay, you want to go in, you go in. She said, no, I'm I'm not hiding. I'm not frightened. So this is what I love, that swapping that fear, swapping it for faith. And she went into court and she just pointed and she said, he, F-U-C-K me, them there. He put his penis in there. Him, him. I was nine years old. Him. And they tried cross-examining her. And she said, I don't care what you say. He raped me. And they, they couldn't, they just couldn't. She was brilliant. They couldn't cross-examine her. She said, he raped me. It was game over. Case over. And no yeah. matter what, they had the best Queen's Council to try and rubbish this girl. You know, and I mean, shame on these people. Why would they want to, you know? It's full for money. But where's their money going to get them? But she was brilliant. And because she looked him in the eye, she looked the jury in the eye, she said, he raped me. Yeah, I don't care what you say. And it was powerful. When you're telling the truth, there, there's no amount of cross-examination they can do that that matters, really. You can't, yeah, you can't cross-examine the truth. And the other thing, never defend the truth either, you know? The truth's like a line that doesn't need defending, you know? No need to defend the truth. The truth stands on its own, you know? It's not going to fall. It's not going to go anywhere. It will stand solid. And it will go through time. It will go through fashion. It will go through everything. It will, it will see the tides in. It will see the tides out. It, it, you know, it stands tall all the time, the truth. But these people, they don't like it. But unfortunately, they, they, there's an adage in law 
and it's all about the proof not the truth proof yeah. not truth no yeah um can, can you point to the worst uh, of uh, worst case of child abuse you've seen without mentioning their names yeah yeah i mean I, I've, I've i've seen some terrible things i've heard of um a lot of appalling accounts from people you know um animals when animals are used that is um i heard the, the one of the most heartbreaking ones was a guy who went on sadly to sexually abuse his own children and he was put into a children's home um nine ten eight nine that sort of age and he was he was sodomized um so much that his bowel ruptured and he nearly died and he was told not to make a complaint he, he had a ruptured bowel because they you know they put so many things and it's a young boy's body it shouldn't be treated in that way anyway and no one's body should but this is a young boy trying to accommodate a grown man's penis without any lubricant or without any uh anesthesia or anything like that it would have been brutal gang raping him and they ruptured his his bowel his intestine their penises went through his intestine and he was made just to take it and lie there and a nurse who knew in the children's home she knew she said don't complain and he 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 actually died a few times he went in and out of consciousness and the pain was excruciating but what they also used to do to him was they used to drag him out of his bed in the morning every morning into this yard and they had a dog in a kennel in a cage and they would throw him in the cage strip him naked and they would he would they would tie him down and they would get the dog to anally rape him and he said it happened so many times so many times he said that in the end I didn't want them to hurt me, so I used to just strip off and I would present my own anus to the dog. He would back himself into the dog. And, you know, things like that. And I, and I just thought, how must he feel inside? He went on to, to um, sexually abuse his own daughter. Um, I, I've heard of women um, that have, because young babies suckle, they would get their baby and put the baby on their clitoris and make the baby suck with their clitoris because the baby's got a natural sucking um, thing for milk and they would uh, abuse their children that way. Um, anim animals probably is is the, the worst one when, when they made the children have sex with animals and perform oral sex on the, on the children. And, you know, uh, th they were the ones that really would... Um, you know and, and it's because a lot of them when when they um end up giving you know their statements and their testimonies they're adults and they're trying to relive and they they go back to being a child as they're talking to you um but there, there's also the, the ritual stuff that that goes into mutilation so one woman um she said they they got her and they got um like gap we call it gaffer tape the big strong uh, like silver colour tape, you know, that sticks everything. And they got her hand and they they gaffer tape like a sabre, like a, a, a letter opener, and they taped it around her hand. And she was then made, and this was in a ritual, uh, she was dressed in white, and she was then made to get the knife and she had to insert it and keep stabbing inside the vagina 
of five little baby girls, one after the other, and keep stabbing them until they died, each one. And then she was she was gang raped, and then made to have sex with a dog. You know, um, that that's you know that the <clears throat> Satanism the Satanism takes it to to a bestiality and a child murdering level, um, uh, whereas the, the sexual abuse is just it's just it's just violent. One, one of the one of the things which really showed um, just the the mens rea. The, the the criminal intent of, of the human mind, despite of it, is when you've got women involved in sexual abuse because it becomes very spiteful then. And the men, it's brutal, and it, it's just a, a, about pleasuring themselves to ejaculation, you know? With the women, there's a calculated spite to it. And, uh, and I often try and picture this scene if I was that child, and it, and it, it just upsets me a lot, you know? And... It was a, a, a guy that was in a children's home uh, in the probably 1960s, and um, uh, no fault of his own, just dysfunctional parents. He was placed in this kid's home, and again, sexual abuse is rife. And and we, what we've got to understand is the children are having sex with the, the 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 children as well. All right, so it's not just the teachers; the children are are encouraged to have sex with each other. And things like that so it's it's just mass perversion and so this was a mixed um residential school and stroke home and there would be a sports hall and this guy said he was about six years old when he first went in there and he said at six o'clock after dinner um the chairs would be cleared and the same ritual went on every single day and he was there for about five years every single day this went on and this, you know, this guy went on to have a fairly normal life, you know, um, and God bless him. That shows strength, in my opinion. Yeah. That shows real strength. And the, the woman who ran, the headmistress who ran this this um, children's home would put a chair in, two chairs in the centre of the hall. She would sit on one and there'd be another one there, right? And she would have a big wooden brush uh, with a flat back, like a big wooden hairbrush. And she said the girls were all made to line up on one side. They all had to line up, all, all facing towards her, looking in, one side of the hall. The boys, they had to line up in a row, right, one after the other, and they would be summoned in to this woman where she was at the chair. But they were all naked. So the girls were dressed, the boys all were naked from 6 to 16 years old. So can you imagine puberty coming in and standing there with no clothes on and what these girls had to watch and these boys were all naked and, and he said some of them, the, the dads were so frightened they were actually, would wet themselves, which would make them the punishment worse. And every day, each one of them had to, one by one, approach this woman, she would bend them over the chair and she would spank them hard with a brush till they cried. And she would do every single boy every single day, and the girls would watch, and that turned her on. And I, I would, I used to sit there and think, why, why? And and it's nothing but power. That is nothing but perversion and power and spite. No wonder these people have a hatred for authority. And on top of that, there would be canings. There's a lot of caning. United Kingdom is going. And and when we look, we take this to a deeper level. We have our Parliament. 
and we have members of parliament, right? And then we have what they call ministers. So you'll have what they call the backbenchers, which are the junior members. And then they have this, the ministers and they've all been given a job. So they're the senior, more trusted members of parliament. And they're given individual jobs on the minister for, for defence, the minister for policing, the minister for schools, the minister for agriculture, the minister blah, blah, blah. Right? So they cover the whole genre. And, uh, you know, now when we look at these ministers and then we look at who are these people and when we look at, Thatcher's government, Margaret Thatcher's government, and, and, and more recently the other governments, Tony Blair and David Cameron, and then Boris Johnson. These prime ministers and their ministers, so many of them come from these elite schools, right? So everywhere else in the world calls them private schools, we call them public schools because there's a, a something in law where everyone has to have access to schools, whether it's private or public. Now, the public schools are not our normal schools that the public go to. They're the elites go to our public schools. We've got one called Eton, right? Eton, where the royalty go, people from all around the world go there. This is the elite school. And it's in a town near Windsor, where Windsor Castle is. And um, we've had 13 British prime ministers go to Eton. Now, Eton is mentioned in many, many publications Um for its treatment of children. It, it may well have changed. I spoke to a former uh, lord, a son of a lord, and he said to me, Eton is nothing more than a rent boy racket. And there was a thing called fagging, the fagging system. And what the fagging system is, the older boys are allowed to use the younger boys as their skivvies, their runarounds, right, to clean their shoes, to iron their shirts. And they're allowed to, to administer corporal punishments. They're allowed to cane these boys as well. Right. But then that that gets abused and they end up sodomizing these boys. So you've got this this prep school. So they take them from the age of eight to I think to about 14. Um, so caning with a cane by the, the head teachers onto bare buttocks is, is standard practice. And within the fagging system, it is and sexual abuses. And there's a good publication was written on, on this British public school system what it produces. So they're divesting the child from its mother at a very early age. So some of these schools take them at five, so they're taken away from their mother. They go into this male-dominated environment, brutal environment, right, uh, where there's lots of sports, lots of high-end education, but lots of canings and lots of sodomy. And it's, and it's based on the Greco-Roman gladiatorial school system. Now, these are people that are, are going to have major, 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 major mental health problems and definitely emotionally disturbed. Their emotional clock would have stopped at the age of five. So therefore, their rational thinking isn't going to be right and their sexuality is definitely not going to be right. So they go through eating and then they end up going to these higher schools and then they end up in the Sandhurst College for the military or Cambridge or Oxford you know, and off it goes, you know. So we, we, we see it so much in the upper echelons of society in the United Kingdom, and these people then end up in the city as traders, or they end up in the military as, as officers, or they end up in Parliament as cabinet ministers. So so the, the, their sexual experiences are going to be a mixture of, of being whipped and sodomised, whipped and sodomised, performing oral sex on older boys and teachers, you know, and then they'll go on to do it to the others. And then they end up as cabinet ministers. So you've got people like Boris Johnson, 
who was our prime minister as of a few weeks back, you know, he went to Eton, you know, he went to Eton. And um, uh, so I approached Boris once. I caught him in the street and I said to him, Boris, this is what I'm doing. I was at pro I was doing my own protest with survivors of abuse outside the House of Parliament. So, Boris, please, can you help us? This is what we're campaigning against. We're campaigning against child abuse. I'm a former detective. You know, if you Google my name, you'll see the work I do. And we want to stop the, the sexual abuse of children, especially in the children's homes. And he just looked at me and said, it's nothing to do with me. I really don't care. I really don't care. So this is what they don't care. They're not interested you know, and these are people that are making decisions about whether we go to war, our financial stability, our well-being. And there's history on these people. There's, there is history. There will be people that will have stories about every single one of them. You know, uh, you know that Tony Blair, our former prime minister. Now, it was alleged that he used to work under the pseudonym of uh, Charles Linton because his name is Charles Anthony Linton Blair. Now, Charles Linton, with the exact same date of birth as, as Tony Blair, who looked exactly as the same as Tony Blair, was caught importuning twice in public toilets in central London and went to court and was fined £500 a time for importuning, for probably performing all sex, allegedly, or whatever, on a man in the toilets. And he's gone on to be our prime minister, allegedly, you know? So what sort of an individual is that? And he took us into the Gulf War. These are psychopaths. These are people that aren't right in the head. And this isn't a, an attack on homosexuals or anything like that. We're, we're above that. We're talking on a bigger level than that. These are people that aren't wholesome. They're not clean and they have no compassion. They are not interested in the welfare of young children. It matters not a bit to them, you know. They don't care. Uh, and, and that has to change. And these are people that, that can be easily compromised, you know? So I, I was offered a bribe when I was in the police by the Turkish Mafia. They offered me £80,000. Now, I was a very poor man, and I could have done with £80,000, but I didn't want their money. I didn't want their money. There's nothing the Turkish Mafia had I wanted. They could have given me women. They could have given me money. Well, I don't care. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not interested my heart, my soul, it, it's non-negotiable, you know? I'm not doing it. And that's when you have that co consolidation with Jesus. You've got that strength to do that. Without that, I may have wavered. I don't know. And if I worshipped benign things like wealth, cars and all this, which is what we see in the, what the music industry punt out all the time, you know, this nonsense, this material rubbish and all that, then, of course, you're going to have that in, in a place of adulation. But um, no, these aren't clean people, you know. So so coming back to what you said earlier about this this, this documentary about the cabal, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm very careful and measured in, in what I do look into because some things do start going the wrong way. You know, and someone might make a comment or might do something and um, it, it's unbalanced, for example, you know. So... I worked a lot in the police with people that, that were Freemasons. Were they all child killers? No, I don't think so, you know. Uh, maybe it goes on, I don't know, at some level. Who knows, right? Um, I've heard it does, you know, but does it say that all of them are? I don't think so, no, you know. Um, and so, so I've got to be careful being dragged into, you know, 
a conspiracy because you get a lot of them saying about child protective services you know um they steal our children well some children go into care because their parents are abusing them bear in mind 80 percent of all sexual abuse goes on in the home so it's right that child protective services take these children they so they should because as a decent society we've got a duty of care to these children so right on they should go in and take children that are being sexually abused in the home yes 100 percent agree on that but some of these unbalanced people say all social workers steal children, but they don't. All police back them up. Well, they don't. I've got respect for the police. I've been at the raw end of police corruption and it nearly cost me my life. You know, and it, they did some terrible things to me. Do I hate the police? No, I don't hate the average policeman. No, not at all. I hate corruption in high office. You know, that's what I hate. And this is where we got to tackle it in high office, not the lower level. All we ever do is pick low-hanging fruit. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to look at who is allowing this to go on. Who allows it to go on? Who allowed a Home Secretary who's an alleged paedophile in the British Parliament? Who allowed that? Who allowed our Prime Minister who was a paedophile? Who allowed it? And if Tony Blair is a man that's got convictions for impunity, who has allowed that? You're telling me they don't vet this guy? Of course they vet him. So why is he allowed in that position if he's dirty like that? He shouldn't have been allowed. That's what we've got to look at. And that's when the intelligence services come in. Because it's by design that they allowed him in. You know? Yeah, I think that's why they do the low-hanging fruit is because it's all optics. That way it looks like they're doing something, but they're not yes. really doing anything. No, no. Um, no. Can can you speak to the uh, subtle symbolism that you mentioned in one of your interviews? Uh, you'll have to remind me what context was that in. Um, I I don't remember the interview, but you were talking about how like people who do these kind of things, they have like uh, symbols on them somehow, like on their. Uh... Oh yeah 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 oh of course yeah I know exactly what you mean right so. Um... Right. Uh, this this comes back to intelligence services and things like that, right? And, and Freemasonry. So there's a thing called pin badges. These little tiny badges that people put on their ties sometimes, and it's like usually got a little uh, figure or something, and they're enamelled. And at the back there's a pin. You can buy them in charities for you. You might get. We have Poppy Day here, a little poppy flower for the remembrance for the First World War and things. Right. So and people have different ones and they might be in a regiment in the army and there might be a mascot for that army and they'll have it very subtle, very, very subtle. So if you know, you know, if you don't know, you'll you, you, pass it by. So, for example, I work with a guy who was in a very, very elite part of the British military and their symbol was um, a scuba diving frog. And you sit there and think, oh, that's quite okay gimmicky little thing right little frog you know but it indicates that this is a very very secret military unit you know that no one really knows about you know and um he pointed out one day because i saw his tie and he went oh no we're um this is what this is i was like oh right okay so if you know you know but the other thing was they used to have um there was a uh, a cartoon called rupert the bear in the uk in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and it was a little bear 
who used to wear checkered trousers, right? He wore a red jacket and he had checkered trousers and he used to get up to all sorts of escapades, Rupert the Bear, right? And there's a little Rupert the Bear pin. And uh, someone said to me one day, I said, I've seen a couple of guys with these the Rupert the Bear. He went, look carefully at the Rupert the Bear, look carefully at it. I'm looking, I said, what? He said, just look. And as I looked, this tiny little pin, the trouser leg, the left trouser leg, I think it was, of Rupert the Bear's rolled up. Well, the Freemasons roll up their trouser leg in one in the rituals, you know. Okay. They, they roll up in initiation, they roll up the trouser leg, and it was always quite a common thing in the police. Does he roll up his trouser leg? I mean, is he a Mason? So they'll wear this pin, and it will be, so Rupert the Bear, if they had Rupert the Bear, meant they worked for Special Branch which was the, the intelligence side of the British police, you know, which would link him with intelligence services um, and deal with very highly sensitive things usually to do with the royal family or the politicians. So the Rupert of Bell would indicate their special branch and if it had the trouser leg, then the special branch and they're in the Masons, you know. So it's very subtle. Everything is very, very subtle, you know, and, that, and that's how if you know, you know, you know. And yeah. you know what to look for. So that, that's how they do it. And again, tiny little symbolism. And it's there. And once you see it, you're like, all oh, right. And that would, there were just little things that would be left everywhere, you know, here and there. And you would, from there, you could sort of gauge who was who. Going back to like Jesus and God, um, what do you say to people? And I'm sure you've been asked this before who say, well, if God is so great, why does he allow these kind of things to happen? I personally have just, made peace with that as far as I I don't know the answer. I don't know why certain things happen and why they're allowed to happen. And, and I, I choose to believe that there's a bigger picture that we cannot see as human beings. Um, and I know that may be an easy answer for some people or just dismissive or whatever, but what do you say to people that ask well, that? Well, I mean, it's the eternal question that why does God do it? You know, one day we'll find out. But what I would say is God doesn't allow it. God doesn't allow a man to have sex with a child, but the devil does. And we've got freedom of choice. We've got free will. It's free will. And he can't intervene. And it is. It's a tragedy. And if it upsets us, what do you think it does to Jesus and God when, when he sees his creation going on to sexually abuse their creation? You know, when he sees a father raping a young daughter i mean it it breaks god's heart it will i mean i bet the tears in heaven are, are, are flooding out when that happens when someone chooses to rape their own children or anyone's child you know or to take it to a point where they mutilate them you know in satanic rituals it's a done thing that's what they do because it's a desecration of what is holy what is beautiful what is perfect and that is a child it has a power so there's there's a reason for them doing it but god doesn't allow it God, no way does God ever allow it, and he's never allowed that, but we have freedom of choice, which is, it's fairness, and it is unfair, because a child has no freedom of choice, and then the child goes on to live a terrible life, and it's not on, you know, but that's where it takes people like us that haven't come from such a traumatic background to help them, to help them. I was asked the other day, you're a good man, why are you helping? I'm helping an individual, right? who's done something bad, right? And he was doing good. He's come from terrible sexual abuse. 
incredibly violent crime and he's committed a violent act. And someone said, why'd you do it? I said, because I never, I was fortunate not to come from his background. He can't make a rational thought because he's emotionally ruined. He's screwed. He's damaged. He's gone. But I can because no one had sex with me when I was a child. So I can make a rational thought. So I need to make that freedom of choice. Do I help him or do I just carry on with my own life? He needs help. I'm going to help him. And I had a covenant with God that I would help. So I'm going. I'm going to help. I've got to go somewhere and and help someone at a big expense to myself, time, money and everything else. But I'm going to do it because I want this guy to get better. And from that, he will see my Christian acts. He will see. He said to me, why do you do? Why do you help? I said, don't don't give the grace grace to me, the praise to me. Give it to God. Give it to God. The glory is God's. It's not mine. Um. So no, God doesn't allow it. The, the, the devil does that. That every time someone rapes a child, that's evil. That's a. You know, it might not be in a ritual, but it's a work of the devil, and they're demonising. If we could step outside of our skin and go into the second heaven, you know, we would be following God. Every single one of us, if we knew what was mooching around in the spirit realms just waiting to devour us and it says that parades around like a roaring lion waiting to devour these demons are everywhere and they're trying to influence all the time they're just trying to push us into pornography into alcoholism into violence into degradation in wasting our time in a non-christian all the time and then justifying it you know it's so easy for us to say well how can there be a god why would he allow kids to get cancer why would he allow rapists? Surely he would come down and help that child And if there was a God. And that's, of course, that's what the atheists use. That's what the Satanists use, you know. If you read uh, the manifesto for the Church of Satan, you think, wow, look at this. We're against bullying. We're against tyranny. We want to work with nature. We're against pollution. We're against this. But it's all about pleasing themselves, pleasing themselves. You know, you are the God. You don't need to look high. You don't need to be judged, you know. You, you know, oh, you, you watch that film, The Devil's Advocate, with um, Al Pacino and and uh, Keanu Reeves. Watch it and listen to at the end of it the two speeches that, that Al Pacino plays the devil. He gives these unbelievable speeches, but it is like a manifesto from the Church of Satan. You know, how is this a God? These are sick. Oh, your God's sick. Allowing these children. He says he loves children and he allows it. He can destroy this. Why don't he destroy them? Yeah. That's, that's We're in the devil's realm. We're living. He's a prince of this earth, the devil. He runs the show. Right? But it's down to us to do God's work. And it's down to us to stop these sickos from doing it. And in that, they will see God's work, God doing his work. They'll see it. And they'll realise that us good people, us good Christians, we have a strength and we have a power. And it's formidable. And it never gives up, you know. And from there, we will lead by example. It's down to us to show these people, you know, that there is a God and this isn't God's will. This is not God's will. This is what the devil wants. And it ain't what we want and it's not what God wants. Yeah, but, but it's a difficult one, and it is, and it's something they always go back on. But this, this isn't the work of God. No way is that the work of God. God does not want that. And if we look at the Bible, right? What does Jesus say in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew about those who hurt the little ones, i.e., the children? 
he says it clearly in the book of Matthew, anyone who takes a little one away from me, it is better that you tie a millstone round your neck and jump into the depths of the sea. This isn't a forgiving Jesus, right? This is Jesus. He's not turning his, the other cheek on here. And this is what they do all the time, the non-Christians and the atheists. Turn the other cheek. You're, he turns the other cheek. No, he doesn't. He gives a stark warning. He's telling pedophiles, kill yourself. Kill yourself. That's what he's telling pedophiles. It's better you do that than I get hold of you. You hurt them children. You've no idea what way. You're the, you're the best way out for you is to kill yourself. Then I get hold of you. And, and you know, of course, you know, Christianity never advocates suicide. You know, it's, it's the ultimate sin to kill yourself. But he's telling the pedophiles that's what you should be doing. And look when he went in, when, when, when you know, the money lenders, which were not just another version of the bankers today. How many people have died because of the banking system, because of the suicides and the stress and everything else? He went in there and he took the water to them. He wet rope, he knotted it, and he wet it in salt water and he battered them. He beat them. He whipped them so hard and he turned their tables over and he, he destroyed them. Is that a God who turns the other cheek? That's a warrior. That is a warrior. So these people who are hurting the children, they've no idea what they're walking. You know, I want to give a, sh a, 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 a shout out here to those who don't believe, right? It ain't my problem that you don't believe. That's entirely your choice. That's your freedom of choice. But let me tell you now, there is a life after this. And you're not given a place in heaven. You've got to earn it. You've got to earn that place in heaven. And if you're subscribing to the devil in his ways, he's got ownership. One penny, if you borrowed it off the devil, you'll never pay back the interest. Never. Right? Yeah. That debt's been paid. Jesus Christ paid that debt. All you've got to do, God says, I knock on the door, just let me in. You've got to turn to him. Let him in. Let him into your life and say you're sorry for what you've done and repent and put right what you've done. And I call out to all, Peter Foles, stop doing it. You may be hurt, you may be damaged sexually, you may be so distraught and motivated by testosterone, whatever, stop it. Stop it now. Because you're hurting and you're causing pain and you're damaging and all you're doing is buying yourself a ticket to hell. Don't do it. Don't give in to the devil. Go to Jesus Christ. There is no sin that Jesus won't forgive you for. Not one sin. The most appalling is the sin. He will forgive, but you've got to do your own forgiveness and your own redemption and put right what you've done wrong before it's too late. Because on your deathbed, man, that's it's too late. It is too late, you know. And that's why when, when I look at these people, they think they've got away with it. They've got away with nothing. Our judicial system might have let them walk. And we're all going to get old. It won't be long before I'm 60. And then I'm 70. Am, am I going to live past that? I don't know. Who knows? I'm not sure. Right? I'm, I'm grateful to get this far. Right? But one day I'm going to be like you are, Tim, on your deathbed, drawing your final breath. And I want to know that I've done everything I can to protect children. I want to know I've done everything I can to make people's eyes better. And I will surrender myself to God when my day comes. You know, and I want to inherit my place in heaven, my you know, my place at the side of him because that's what I want to do. I want to serve him. I want to serve him down there, 
and I want to serve him up there. And that's what gives me... You do a good deed. How good does it make you feel? And when you do something horrible, you feel horrible, you know? Even when you steal, you feel dirty, you know? You, you feel cheap. Before I used to, if no one was looking, I'd steal something. I don't steal. I don't steal anything now. You know, if it's not mine, I'm not having it. I will earn it before I eat it, you know? Yeah. And if I can't afford it, then I starve. If I starve, so what, you know? But... And that's what faith is about, knowing that there is a better place. And these people that have no faith, they think they can, it's a Garden of Eden, you can take what you want, eat what you want, have sex with what you want, and just say you're sorry, it doesn't matter, and you'll have another go at it, you come round the next time. But what I say to the people who believe in that, that whoever's telling you it's a liar, the devil's a liar. He is a liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. It's a lie. And it is the sex that is going to be the downfall of man. We're seeing it with pornography. It's just everywhere. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Instagram. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a cesspool. It's, it's a, I feel sorry for kids these days that are just, just on social media. I mean, they don't even, they don't have a chance in a lot of cases. But Tim, you know, you've only got a look at how we've changed. You look at, uh, uh, how men are now you look at the build of men they've got curves like women now you know what happened to there is an attack on masculinity you know um they're either too muscly like a greek god or they've got curves like a woman obesity is going rife you've got girls that have ruined their bodies with tattoos and piercings and tattoos you know who see group sex and anal sex as normal that's okay. That's, you know, multiple partners. I, I, I look on these podcasts and they're interviewing porn stars. And there was one going on about doing group anal. And she's laughing. She's got covered in tattoos. I'm thinking, you're not clever. You're stupid. Look what you're doing. You beautiful girl. What are you doing? What are you doing? There's nothing sacred. You've got nothing sacred. You've given it all away. Every person you have sex with, there's a soul tie, a connection. I've got a friend who's always with prostitutes, always with prostitutes. And he thinks he's he's winning. He thinks he's on top because his missus doesn't know, you know. He's got a missus, she don't know. And he thinks, oh, I'm having sex with this girl. But every he's got soul ties to all these women. And who have they got soul ties to, you know? And, and you think children, teenage boys, we were all teenage boys, you know, us older men. You know, from the ages of about 12, 13, up until in your 20s and 30s, any, especially them younger, they, boys masturbate constantly, even if they've not got any pornography. Because of the test, that's how boys do. They just masturbate. That's why they're late at getting up. That's why they don't do their homework, because they're masturbating. That's what they do. But I, I look back, when I was growing up, someone would get a porn, pornographic magazine and everyone would share it, bring it to school and lend it to someone and by the time it, it gone for about 10 or 12 lads, it was ruined, you know. It was, it was nothing left of it. But, you know, that's, that was what you did for, to, to look at porn. Was, and then videos came out in the 80s and pornographic films, you know. Someone's got porno and we'd go and watch it. And, you know, we would go around and watch their pornos. But now these phone devices, that's all they are is pornography. And so... What it's doing, it's a bit like cannabis. It's taking away their ambition. They're masturbating away their ambition. They're reducing. That's why men are looking like women now because their testosterone's gone because they're, they're, they're 
tossing it away. It's gone. You know, it's gone. And it, it is a reality. These That's why in the school holidays, a young lad in his 14, 15 would spend his whole time in his room because he's watching porn. That's what he's doing. He's watching porn. Whereas before, you couldn't keep a kid in. They would be running off one and climb a tree, riding a bike, whatever. They'd always be out. They don't go out now. Not because it's an only state, because they're watching pornography. The yeah. single most thing that's destroying it. And girls, what are they seeing? Just these men group sex in other girls and they think that's normal. And then they think they've got the power over men, this new version of, 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 of being a feminist, because they can control men through sex and as much sex. And, and of course, it goes lower. So it's not the 30-year-olds doing porn now. But they're making their own child porn. Kids are making their own child porn. 12, 13-year-olds are making their own child porn. And then that will go lower and lower, and then they'll start doing it with, with their siblings and all that. And, and, it's, and it's happening now, I, I no doubt. So it's not like it was before adults preying on children. It's children preying on children now. And it's wrong. It's wrong. It's just appalling. And that that is it in a nutshell, I think, with, with um, porn will do it on its own. It's a covert thing. And again, who's behind it? Who is behind it? How have we got from a situation where there was no pornography to now where there's loads of pornography. How has that happened? And who's allowed it? You know? And it's just normal now. Um, and what would happen if they got rid of it? I don't know. Would it be a riot? Who knows? Global riot? Whatever. I don't know. Uh, are there things to look for in identifying child predators? I, I have a small son, and it's my biggest fear. And I, 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 have, a, I have a problem trusting just about anyone anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, look, no one looked after my children. My twin sister and my mother, they were the only ones who ever looked after my children. Um, they're your children, they're your responsibility. Um, uh, I mean, I'll, what I would say is, you know, stop this single parenting culture. That must stop. That has to stop. These women think it's acceptable to, to have baby fathers. Um, stepdads coming in there now there's some good stepdads no no choice but there's some good step numbers. i'm not denigrating that but it is a weak link this is a big problem this step parenting and it is a way in which perverts can come in and you've got to look at why would they want to why would they want to why would they want to take your kid out do this why why and don't don't let them that you know they're your child if they've got to go somewhere you go with them you know uh, and have a good relationship with your child where they can tell you and tell them no one. I mean, I work with kids that, that are very damaged um, physically, mentally, you know, uh, and, you know, in their cerebral area, you know, and some are nonverbal and some are in residential care homes. And I try my best uh, to say to them, if anyone hurts you, you come and tell me. You come and tell me, and, I, and I'll ask them, it's anyone hurt you? You just even sign in it. They can sign yes or no. Does someone hurt you? If anyone hurts you, tell me, tell me, you know, um, uh, you know, and have that, that they can trust you and they can tell you. And it's, um, I don't know, there's something really sad happened years ago. There was a girl uh, from an Indian family, um, and she came forward to the police um, when she had her first child, to say that when she was young, her dad used to rape her. And she's quite a small woman, so when she was six, five, six, she must have been a tiny, tiny little kid. 
and the police basically didn't want, weren't interested um and the the the, the allegation remained on file for for a long time and then i i found it one day i was in a storeroom and i found this file when i reinvestigated it and i went and saw this woman and she couldn't firstly couldn't believe that i'd I'd have any interest and in the end i convinced her please pursue it and i'll I'll, I'll do everything i can and um she did so i I reinvestigated this case and one of the things i said did you ever ever tell anyone she said, you know, there was a teacher at my school, Mr. So-and-so. And she said, he was so nice, such a nice man. I, I, I just wanted to tell him. And I used to wait around class uh, as late as I could. And in the end, he used to say, is everything all right? And I'd go, yeah, 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 and throw me up. But she said, it wasn't all right. Whenever I left, I went home and my dad would rape me and hurt me and, and starve me and all sorts. And she said, I was so close every day. I wanted to tell me, but I was so frightened, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And and um, years later, I mean, this was, she was now, I don't know, 40, and this happened when she was um, uh, like 30, uh, sorry, sorry, she was like five, six. And I, I managed to find this teacher, I found him. And he, you know, of course he's a mature man now. And, and I went, I said, do you remember this this little girl? And he went, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do remember her. And I said, look, and I explained it to him that she really wanted to tell you. And he burst into tears. He was crying and crying and crying. And he said, I could have saved if only I was more approachable. If only I, I said, no, don't look at it like that. I said, I, I wouldn't have come to tell you that. You know, I said, the reason I told you this is, is simple, is that what you had was so good and honest that this survivor of the most appalling abuse was comfortable in telling you, although she never, that, that actually that's the side issue. You know, you was a good man. Out of all them teachers, you was the one because you were such a nice man, you know? And I think if you have that, that they love you and you love them, the kids, and that, you know, you and you can, without feeding them, um, yeah. But, but I, and I feel sorry for people that do have to rely on third parties to look after their children, you know, because they've got to work and, you know, and we're seeing that now where mothers can't stay at home anymore. You know, they they have to go to work so they can't afford it. Um, so it must be heartbreaking. It must be heartbreaking. But again, physically, you know, you bath your kid. You, you'll, you'll see, you know, you'll see that there will be damage. Um, I always had an issue with these children's homes that used to have, a, you know, in-house matron and medical staff. You know, these were kids that had ruptured anuses, you yeah. know, and, and you know, and, and damaged vaginas and things like that would have been in a lot of pain. Kids that that were, you know, had infected um, genitals through sexually transmitted diseases and things like that. They would have come to the attention of medical staff, PE staff and things like that, you know. Um, I mean, we've got to go into the grey area. We've got to go into the swamp. We've got to go into darkness. And if we find it uncomfortable, well, how must a poor child feel when they have to sit all day with syphilis, you know, and, you know, ruptured wombs and ruptured rectums and things like that, you know? And this is the reality. And I think there needs an education. I think problem with with, with teaching staff, it tends to be a very liberal... um, uh, middle-class sort of uh, occupation and some of these can live in these middle-class ghettos and they, they don't fully understand 
what goes on. Everything's very nice in their world. Thank you very much. And they don't want to go into the darkness. Um, tough. I think it's our job to, to highlight and to educate. I mean, I've just done a TV program and uh, in which I'm talking to people um, about police corruption. And, and one woman there, her father was a highly ranked um, police officer. And she was distraught because she couldn't believe the sort of culture that I was in. Her dad would have been in that same culture at the same time as me. And she would see her dad as a hero. And surely he would have spoke out about child abuse. And of course, he never did. But why didn't he? I said, well, that's his choice. He chose not to. I chose, I couldn't, it, for me, it, I'm, I'm not doing it. I am not. If you just wait there one minute, I've just got to open the door for my dog. One second. Sure, yeah. I'll just let the... Sorry about that. I've got like a 14-year-old dog and it just wants to go out for a... It's okay. Dog. But, um, yeah, no, um, for me, it outweighed at me and I thought, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. But, um, again, you know, keep a good open relationship with your child and, and, and be the one, you know, that puts them in bed every night and wakes them up in the morning. But we've got such a broken society. We really have. And we've, we've got to start putting children first and we've got to start parenting them properly and the children need a, a, a very bounded environment as well you know and, and the other thing child abuse needs to, investigations need to be number one priority for, for for law enforcement that's where they don't worry about the drugs and all that nonsense don't worry about it sort out the child abuse and you'll start getting somewhere with society you won't have stabbings you won't have armed robberies. You won't have meth heads and crackheads, and you won't. They'll, they'll they'll start, you know, dissolving bit it, by bit. It, it's at the root of everything. I mean, yes. not not everything, but I, I and I can't put a percentage on it. But drug addicts and the people you see sleeping in the street, and and you know, like you said, violent crime and and alcoholism, and it it it, it runs so deep. And there, it, it, I think this is this kind of crime is so widespread and they've taken God out of everything. I mean, they're trying to take God out of everything, which is what America was founded on. And America is just going to complete crap in so many levels. And, and I think a huge part of it is because they've taken God out of everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's been a, a, it's been in the works for a long time, which is kind of at the root of that. Like, I, I don't, I haven't ever, I haven't followed like the Q thing, like all the drops and all that stuff. But um, the idea of it is 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 great. If you, you know, are you familiar with Q and all that stuff? And yeah, that... yeah, they, they 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 contacted me. I got a call from them. Um, oh, I think it was about three years ago. Um, it might have been a bit longer than that. And they sent me some documents through as well. They did a lot of research and they just said, look, you know, we're, we're, we're very pre pleased to be behind you. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll back you. And um, they were quite uh, vague about who they were and what they were, but they made it clear, you know. So it, there's there's some good stuff co does get out there, you know, and they, there's people that do actually want this to change. And and I generally think that, that some of what Trump did was pushing for that change, you know. Um, but they're not going to allow it. You know, uh, but we we we've got to get together. And the problem with survivors of abuse, they fight with each other. 
they've got to stop fighting with each other and that's a thing is they, they set up these groups and then they get triggered and they all end up fighting and arguing because at the heart of it is a broken child and um they get frustrated and then it, it becomes a bit of an immature argument you know over nonsense over nothing so that they've got to know you know to the survivors don't don't like your enemy isn't the other survivor your enemy you know is those that covered it up uh we've got to start getting the grips of the reality of child abuse what it is i think you know the word abuse i tell you to f off that's abuse no this is this is anal rape this is torture this is genital mutilation this is appalling you know um degrading disgusting and um we need to be taking it really really taking it seriously and it's uh until we do that it's going to carry on and the pornography has got to be switched off they've just got to turn that off that's got to be made illegal it has to if we want we need a healthy society we've got to get rid of porn it has to go it really does it's just it's too much now it's too it's just gone everywhere it's um there was a thing come out about um there was a conference um at the vatican and they, they got um bishops from all around the um the globe met for this conference and it was something like 60 percent um viewed porn you know in the hotels 60 percent of them you know so it, it gets serious it's all over the place you know and everyone's looking at it and doing it and, and and whatnot but it's it's got to be made illegal they've got to go back to old standards they have to for the sake of the next generation otherwise we're finished yeah we really are and it's it's easy to do it, it really is but um and whistleblowers need protecting they need it you know if someone stands up the government's got protecting but in the uk it's, it's, it's appalling they just get and and again the media get rid of the media and start again because they're not doing their job they're not reporting no. what they should be reporting you know no. they really aren't they're biased um they've got an agenda and, and they're not putting the truth out there and they're protecting they're protecting the abusers all the time uh, yeah they're 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 they seem to be bought and paid for you know i mean people don't seem to realize that all major media is owned by a very small amount of people and whatever they want us to know is what we know and it's part of, I call it the brainwashing, you know, like I'm a comedian for a living and it used to be a lot more fun. And in the last yeah. five, the last five years or so, it's, it's like people are under a mass psychosis. I don't even think they realize how deep it goes and how much they've been brainwashed on so many levels. Well, Do you, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to ask if you thought Jeffrey Epstein was dead. If you thought, um, that. I mean, well, if if you look at um, what's his name, uh, El Chapo, you know, Guzman, the the Mexican cartel boss. I mean, they 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 dug a hole in the cell and got him out. Now, how did they do that? I mean, they must have had laser pinpoint accuracy to tunnel in exactly in his shower and get him out. So, if they can get him out, um, and he's just a criminal, well, you know, what can they do for this man who who had even the British royal family in his pocket, you know, um, a very, very uh, deceptive and clever man, very connected man. So it would, it would be interesting. I mean, the jury's out. I, I just don't know. Um, I, I doubt it. Um, this is a powerful man that that, that that could have brought down many, many governments around the world. Uh, a cultic man. I mean, he's definitely, when you look at the aerial shots of that island, 
you know, one of the things with, with, with Satanism, they like to have a maze. You get a maze, you know, um, and there's ancient Egyptian sort of um, worship of Egyptian magic and things like that in there. So it, it all points to an occultic island. Um, so just the sexual side of it would, would have been, you know, a, a must in that. I mean, he, he was a very proactive paedophile, the guy. And I say you had you know Prince Andrew going out there and Bill Gates and all sorts. Why were they going out there? For what reason? You know. Um, so I think with friends like he's got, then then maybe not. Um, again, the narrative is just it's just a laugh. It's a joke, isn't it? You know that you know he hung himself. I mean, seriously. I mean, there would have been a suicide watch on that guy anyway. Um, so I don't believe the narrative. I think the narrative is a lie. Uh, when you saw Prince Andrew in this country, the interview he gave saying how he knew Epstein and, and his associating with young girls, it was just an absolute, he just lying all the way through it. It was a joke. You know, what an insult to the British public. You know, uh, the man is disgusting. Um, and again, he, he didn't even appear at the uh, Queen's Jubilee. Um, I can't remember when it, when it was, I think earlier on this year. Um in the summer of this year, he apparently had COVID and couldn't appear. Well, that's a lie as well. Yeah. He's been stripped of all official duty. But if he's done nothing wrong, what's he worried about? I mean, you know, again, in my opinion, that he's guilty. In my opinion, I think the man is a paedophile, in my opinion. You know, uh, uh, so no, may, maybe not. Maybe Epstein is. He's too powerful. He's too well connected. You know what he knows. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, whatever happened, he was brought in. Um, and now he's out of operation. So before he was working with impunity, and even if he is now living a life elsewhere, well, he's got to remain outside the public gaze for the rest of his life now, hasn't he? You know, he can't afford the privileges he once had. So at least it stopped him in one respect, in one regard. Yeah. Um, but again, you look at the attack that went on on the, the girl who spoke out. I mean, what a brave girl, you know? And of course, was it Prince Andrew offered up £13 million or something to child trafficking charities well that's not his money he's never worked for that that's the british public's money right and if he's if he's not guilty why is he paying out money if you're not guilty i mean you you send down a guilty man to prison uh, uh, sorry an innocent man to prison he's going to scream and shout till his very last day you know but guilty people they do they put their head down they might protest for a little bit but then they go quiet you know because they know they've done it you know the prison's all full of innocent people allegedly you know Right. And that, but there are some people that, that that are innocent, you know, and they do wrongfully get. It does happen, of course, it happens, you know. And I've very nearly one of them. Uh, but would I have shut my mouth? No, no, no. I wouldn't. I would have. Uh, there's no way I would have carried on fighting. And uh, and I did fight for many years, you know. It went on for a long time, you know. You know, start to finish. I mean, when was it? It was last year. I really sort of finished, and I I started screaming and shouting. Really, basically, in 2014. Um, I whistle blew in 2000 and I think it was 2006 is when I actually officially whistle blew and then I made criminal allegations in 2014 and then from then on it was like um, seven year battle you know uh, whatever you know se yeah seven year battle um, so and they, w they would never silence me they would never silence me it wouldn't happen you know they would probably have to kill me uh, but no, yeah, I th definitely, yeah, it's, uh, the narrative is a lie. 
you know, whatever they put out about Epstein, it's a lie. You know? Yeah, just just the fact that they're like, oh, the cameras in his cell were turned off or didn't work or malfunctioned. I'm like, are you? Come on. Yeah, but they, they do it all the time. It's the same when there's been these terrorist explosions in London. It was the same time they were working on the CCTV. I mean, it's just, and people buy it and people believe it. Well, it happens. Well, no, it doesn't happen. You know, it's anomalies do occur, but it, it, the coincidences, and they call us conspiracy theorists, you know, and they do things like that. You know, it's all damage limitation, you know, and it's it's a nonsense. It's a, it's a lie. Yeah. And again, who sanctions it? Who was brought in? You know, someone would have, there would have been a, a team brought in to, to extract him and, and do what they have to do with him. You know, there, there's, a, there's a good film, um, called Michael Clayton. I don't know if you've seen it. With, um, uh, what's his name? George Clooney. It's a really good film and it sort of um, shows how people are murdered, you know, in, in espionage. Shows how it's done. It, it's brilliant. It, it's, I actually got approached by um, a former um, member of the, the, the um, Special Air Service, the SAS. Um, he contacted me and he arranged for me to meet him and I went to meet him and down in, in Cornwall in the very west of the UK. And he told me how contract killings work, especially government sanctioned ones. And he showed me how you can make a silencer out of a bottle of water. You put the gun in and now you can shoot someone and it looks like you're just drinking the water. And, you know, he said, they'll just walk past you, bang. And it just like looked like a bottle of water has been dropped or something, you know, so they won't hear it and you'll fall down and they'll be gone. You know, they'll get on a motorbike and off they'll go. And he said, um, just warning you, because you're you're at the stage where you could start coming of interest to these authorities. And then he went on to tell me about contracts that he'd been involved in abroad. He said, it's very unlikely that you'll get someone from the UK, you know, an operative of that level in the UK will, will do work in the UK. Usually they will be shipped out. And he said he'd, he'd done work on foreign soil. And he was aware that they'd, they'd brought in... Uh, European uh, contract killers like that had been brought in to do jobs in, in the UK, you know, and in Northern Ireland. He said they'll just be brought in, bang, bang, and then they'll, get, they'll be out again. You know, so, so he did give me a run-through of, of the reality of it and how quick it is, and that's it. And it'll just be written off as something else, you know. Car crashes or whatever. I mean, it, it goes on all, all the time. It's, um, I mean, I even had... Uh, when I was in the police, uh, you know, an officer told me once about a woman who, a prostitute, who spoke out about a politician that was uh, a cabinet minister that was involved in, in cocaine and prostitutes. And there was a contract put out on her life by another politician to kill her. So, you know, and as a police officer told me, and, you know, so it does, it goes on, it goes on. Um, but I think you've got to be very grounded when you deal with it and only deal with facts, you know, because you, you can get taken off into into mad realms. And, um, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, Princess Diana's still alive and, and this and, and this goes on. And, you know, I mean, the Queen, our Queen's died, but I was told she was dead three years ago. And, and, and it's just mad nonsense. I don't want to get caught up in it. Yeah. You know, and people their mind, and then they smoke a bit of cannabis, and it gets all magnified, and it just goes all crazy. And and I'm not interested. You know, um, I'd rather stick to to what. And if I don't know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I can assume, and I can guess, and I can surmise. Um, but if I was 
to ask about conspiracies and theories of conspiracies. Yes, they go on. They're not theories that, you know, they go on. They do go on. They, they really do. You know, I'm not into the UFOs and things like that, but, um, you, you know, I would never underestimate evil. Never, ever underestimate evil. You know, I wouldn't do it. You know, it's um, it will find a way. And we're living in a very evil system at the moment. Yeah, and and never underestimate. I think the links that they will go to to cover these things up. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I won't keep you on here all day, um, but I did want to ask you real quick. Um, you know, as far as eradicating this kind of thing, if that's possible, you spoke in one of your interviews about the Scandinavian model. I think you said that yeah. the Scandinavian model was what we all need to to try to do in order to get rid of this kind of thing um what is the scandinavian model well, well i mean uh, the analogy i give is i say look if i was a builder right and and you want an extension on your house you want your house extended and i recommend someone and i say right they're, they're, the builder's going to charge 40 pound 400 pound an hour right um they're going to come they're going to do the work but when they're finished Right, and every time they ring you, they're going to charge you fifty pounds for every phone call. An email is going to be seventy-five pounds, you know. And when they're finished, eighty percent of the buildings that these people put up instantly fall down. And you're going to say, "Well, what's the point of that?" Well, that's that's our justice system in a nutshell. That's how our justice system it just fails. It's just a money-making machine. It fails. It doesn't address the problem, uh, you know, and it just goes back for someone to reoffend and spend their life in the justice system being a cash cow for those that make the money out of them and they, these barristers they charge 400 pound an hour and every fax they send they charge 75 pound every phone calls i mean you couldn't run a normal business see the ombudsman for for the businesses would shut you down and so the, the regulators would come and say hang on what you're doing but the justice system works like that it fails eight percent of the time so how the hell, how on God's earth is that allowed if it fails 8% of the time? It's just, if a restaurant sold 8% of the meals were rotten and out of date, how would it be? It wouldn't be surviving by the end of the week. But the justice system allows. Now, what we've got to look at, so it doesn't work. So we can categorically say that the, the United Kingdom justice system, and I would have thought the U US ones are very similar, does not work. It only works for those profiteering from, from the people that, that build these big edifices of incarceration they manage them they this they that there's no education in a lot of these they even get rid of gymnasiums now and they're just locking them up and and that's that they don't work right so how is that allowed but when we look at the scandinavian one the norwegian system for example they've got a, a you know a recovery rate a non-offending rate of 80 percent well it works it works it's fantastic so why are we not getting that they actually go and they find out what caused the problem. And it's always sexual abuse. So there's a, a good documentary, and it's about Greenland. Now, Greenland's this massive expanse of Arctic tundra, but, you know, it's got a fishing port, and it's Danish. It's owned by the Denmark, you know, it's Danish-owned. And there's a lot of social problems there, you know, because it's, it's in the middle of nowhere, and there's a lot of alcohol and everything else. And they went there and they were interviewing people that were in there for, for murder. And it was because of incest and sexual abuse. Every single one of them. Incest, sexual abuse. They get angry, did drugs and killed someone. Boom, boom, boom. One after the other, one after the other. And they're trying to get them round to 
to recognize what went wrong and not to do it again and it's working it's working but our system is just brutal it's just brutal they're not getting to the point you know they're not getting they're missing it and it fails and it doesn't work it fails and until they grasp it and start investing in it and and it starts in the schools as well you know it starts in the home it all starts in the home so we can't just blame the prisons we've got to blame parents and this is what i do i blame parents you know stop having sex with your children and stop allowing other people into your home who will have sex with your children it's simple it is so simple stop it it's wrong and you're going to go to hell for doing it don't do it you're condemning your children to a life of pure misery just for what for what so you can have sex with a kid oh come on really don't do it and that's where it starts in the home and then the schools need to change you know and they need to recognize things and deal with it as well and and all along the line before it gets to prison let's stop it let's start sorting these kids out and engaging with them and turning them around because when they get in the teens you're going to get to a point where you're going to start to lose them you know when they're young we can turn this around we can you know we can damage limitation can be done but the later you leave it the worse it's going to get and get rid of all this liberalization and people that are getting offended by it you know, we're going to be talking about horrible, dirty things, but it's a reality. And if you can't stomach it, then don't get in there, right? That's not your job for you. Move on. You know, it's like doctors, what do they deal with? They deal with some terrible, terrible trauma and, you know, awful scenes. You can't have them being all squeamish and being sick at the sight of blood. You can't have that. You know, where would we be if they did that, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, st stop it. You know, st stop getting these affected, weak-minded people in it who can't stomach it. If they're like that, then they've got to go. Um, so it's got to change at all levels. And, and law enforcement needs to change. They need people like myself with experiences that I've had to come in and talk to these young trainee officers and tell them, start looking for signs of sexual abuse when you're dealing with cases, you know. And they're quite easy to, to sort out, you know, and patterns of behaviour, but not be overzealous because that has caused problems as well. You know, allegations of abuse when they're not there. But, um, you know, but make them recognise it and, and start looking at it as, as, as child protection investigations, not a job for, you know, um, women that, that have just come back from maternity leave and, and that's that. We'll just understaff that office and just put some women in there. Uh, that's still lactating no let's get some tough hard men in there that want to wage war on paedophiles you know as well as the women because i work with brilliant women officers i work you know some i've had brilliant partners in the police that have been women you know um and civilians great you know but you know let's start waging war on them but that that, that comes down to the government level they've got to sanction it you know and uh and then we'll turn it around to so put pressure on them and and, and and take our society back you know yeah it's enough to drive you crazy you know because they want to they want to they make money off of these things rather than you know like the prison's not a rehabilitation center it's uh it, it's somewhere where people go and they learn how to be better criminals and they make so much money off there's so much money made off of so many aspects of like prisons i mean you think about how many factories and that kind of thing you know all, combs and toothbrushes and all that stuff that they that they supply prisoners i mean it's it's a huge business is what i'm trying to say and they they don't care about why they don't they don't care about fixing the problem and it 
as someone who does care about those things, like, you know, do we want to cure, um, like not having a father in the home has been incentivized on so many levels. And if you don't have a good dad, your life is going to be so much harder than it needs to be. And yeah. you have these discussions with people and they don't want to hear that. They're, they want to hear like, oh, well, that's anyway, it's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Well, well we're, you know, you, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. And if we insult people, do you know what? I'm, I don't care if I insult an adult. I'm really not interested. You know, so what? It's not my problem. Get over it. You know, uh, my, my issue is I want to help stop child abuse. We'll never stop it. Let's be real. It'll carry on. You know, as long as the devil's there, sex abuse will carry on. But, you know, we can minimalise it. We can we can really, we don't have to pander to it. And at the moment, we're giving into it. You know, we are sexualising our children. It's got to stop. It's going to end in tears. Nothing good will come of this. We will pay for this so dearly. You know, let's bring back family values and let's start enjoying being a family, you know, and rewarding people for having a family and start penalising those that are running off and leaving kids. You know, start clamping down on them. And if anyone, you know, hurts a child, you know, they, they need taken out of society. They need taken away, you know, and um, and the victims of it need help. And they do need help. And um, But, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure, Tim, and uh, I'll have to check out some of your stand-up. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um you know, these conversations aren't easy to have, um, and but I think they need to be had. And uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And, and if we if we if I asked you all the questions I have, we would be on here for five hours. And I think my my boy, my wife will be home pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but, well look, look, you know, I'll happily come back again and, you know, I can uh, go on talk about other stuff whatever you, you you've got I'll, I'll always answer it you know and um you know i just want to say to anyone that, that's endured uh, any sort of abuse in a childhood it's not your fault you know the people who did it they had a choice and they could have chosen not to do it you know there is life after it you can go on to make a, have a lovely fruitful life and 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 break the circle i speak to so many people that have done it you know there's some fantastic testimonies out there of people that have turned their life around uh, but if anyone wants to take any advice from me, you know, Jesus loves you and he loves you more than you'll ever know, you know, and he hates those who hurt children. I promise you, if you think people like me hate the pedophiles, Jesus hates them even more. He does. He hates them so much. And read the book of Matthew. It will tell you what, what he wants to do with the pedophiles. So um, he's a way forward. But um, it's up to you. God bless you. You know, God bless victims and survivors. Uh, is is there any place people can find your work specifically? Yeah, um, I, I do have a YouTube channel, John J O N Wedger W E D G E R. Um, there's a John Wedger Foundation. I think my website's down now because I just didn't maintain the payments on it, so they took my website down. I don't do as much as I used to. Um, I do crop up on on, on other people's shows like this. Um, I've done quite a lot of interviews. I've you know so. I, did one recently with with John Ramirez, who's quite well known, uh, of uh, ex Satanist. Now he's an evangelist, a preacher in the US. Um, so I've done quite a few over in the states. Um, but yeah, my work is out there. You know, my, my surname's so unique. You, there's a lot of attacks on me. I get a lot of uh, trolls and attacks, but I, I just see that as an accolade. You know, if you're um, you're doing God's work, you know, you're going to be a target, and I've I've not got yeah. a problem. 
but you know it doesn't bother me doesn't used to but it doesn't anymore but yeah just um and it, hopefully more will be coming up more will be coming up in the future okay well i would love to have you on again sometime there's a lot of stuff we didn't uh we didn't cover but i i do appreciate you very much and uh and god bless you and uh yeah it's probably the most important interview i've ever done as far as you know there's so much light needs to be shined on these kind of things that that aren't and i understand why people don't want to talk about it and why they would rather just turn away from it but um well it's uncomfortable it, it, it's not nice and it, and it affects everyone you know you know somewhere in our our lives things have gone wrong and you know and it's so and it's it's about looking inside yourself as well and you know we're all human every single one of us we all make mistakes but you know um they're the weak ones. They're the weak ones. You know, they and with a lot of the victims, they they worry about speaking out. But the the people who did this to you, they're cowards, because you was a child and they're an adult, and they're not the big monster you thought they were. You know, if you saw them again, you know, I used to say that to people when they went to court. I said, you know, this isn't the ogre you thought it was. This is a pathetic old man now. You know, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. They're the cowards. For what they did they're the cowards they're weak and they're cowards and they're perverts you know it wasn't your fault it really wasn't they chose to do it yeah well man um thank you so much for taking the time to do this and uh god bless you and everything you do and uh yeah i'll let you know when it's up and uh, you can share it and all that stuff and and uh yeah, yeah, I'm, pleasure, yeah. I'm gonna get off here and be like dang it i meant to ask him xyz and i didn't but um that's all listen you, you you've got my details and just just get in touch with me again and i'll happily happily go through what you've missed it's no problem okay thank you very much john i appreciate you have a right. great night and good night bye-bye bye-bye all right everybody john wedger uh doing god's work and and uh, you know i'm a stand-up comedian man i don't <laughs> and there's so many reasons for me not to talk about these things and uh but i don't think any of them are are good enough to not talk about it um because it's it's way more rampant in our society than than i think people want to admit and i understand why they don't but it it's at the root of a lot of uh damaged people and a lot of mental health issues and uh so uh yeah i don't know what else to say i, I appreciate you guys all so much for tuning in as always go to making it happen m-a-c-a-n it happen.com help out little bo Macon and his family um yeah john wedger um there's there's no reason for him to make up any of that stuff and uh yeah. So God bless all of you. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, take care. Bye.